Epcot isn't just an anything. Oh, no. Let's listen to the land we all love. Nature's plan will shine upon. Bay number three reports successful deminiaturization of probe Foxtrot 817. Energy. Welcome aboard Spaceship Earth. Journey with us now to the dawn of recorded time as we explore the amazing story of human communication. Tomorrow's horizons are here today. W Welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. This is show number 35 for the week of October 7th, 2007. I'm your host, Lou Mangiello, and thank you for tuning in once again. I'm back from Walt Disney World, and what undoubtedly was one of my most memorable experiences ever at the resort. The celebration of Epcot's 25th anniversary was even better than expected, and this week, I'm going to share some of those experiences with you through a recap with Jeff Pepper as well as through some exclusive private interviews. Some of my very special guests include Disney legends Marty Sklar, Dave Smith, and Charles Ridgway, as well as Epcot's Vice President Jim McPhee and Michael and Lowell, two of Disney's official ambassadors. Other guests will include a former Disney Imagineer who helped build Epcot Center, Adam Roth and the other co-founders of the Celebration 25 fan event, Deb Wills from All Ears Net, and a number of other authors, podcasters, and fans who felt it was important to be present on this historic day. Each share their own personal insights and stories about working to help create Epcot or why it was important to them, as well as to so many of the people that felt that they needed to be there to celebrate this event. I'll also cover some recent Walt Disney World news and visit the Walt Disney World rumor mill, as there are some interesting developments to speak about this week. Now, due to the length of the show, I'll unfortunately have to hold off on your emails and voicemails until next week. I know I have so many more to get to, and I promise to address them all on the show as quickly as possible. So for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. In the wake of Epcot's 25th anniversary this past week, there's not a lot of news coming out of Walt Disney World. However, the big news from Disney this week was not about Walt Disney World specifically, but confirmation that Disney is expanding their offerings outside the theme parks in the United States as rumored a few months ago. And what better place to start than Paradise itself? Because Disney is going to turn 21 acres of oceanfront property on the Hawaiian island of Oahu into its first mixed-use luxury family resort outside of its theme parks. Jay Rizzullo, the chairman of Disney Parks and Resorts, said that Hawaii was one of the most requested destinations for the Vacation Club's 350,000 members aside from the company's theme parks. He told investors in February that the parks division was working on a concept to locate non-theme park properties in popular vacation spots. Now, the resort's going to open with more than 800 units in 2011, which will include both hotel rooms and DVC Disney Vacation Club resort villas. Disney reportedly paid $144 million just for the land, with groundbreaking expected to begin late next year. The development on the island's western side in the Ko'olina Resort and Marina is expected to create more than 1,000 jobs, Disney said in an official statement. Disney's expected unveiled plans for the new resort in 2008 
And I'll post some concept art on the WDWRadio.com website in the show notes for this week. It may only be the first week of October, but it's time to start thinking about making your New Year's Eve plans if you're going to be in Walt Disney World. And what better place to go than Pleasure Island, as New Year's Eve tickets are now available. And Pleasure Island is going to be the ultimate New Year's Eve party, featuring exciting live music, dancing, and a lively, of course, pirate party from 8 p.m. until 2 a.m. on December 31st. There will be a wide variety of a delicious array of cuisine, including seared beef medallions, grilled skewered shrimp, smoked salmon fillets, and more. In addition, guests are going to have unlimited access to the wide variety of clubs on Pleasure Island, as well as a champagne toast at midnight and a fireworks spectacular. The cost is $99 per person or $89 if you are a pass holder. Pass holders can purchase tickets at the pass holder website. Non-pass holders can purchase at a variety of resorts or downtown Disney or beginning October 7th by going to DisneyWorld.com. Staying in downtown Disney, construction on the new T-Rex restaurant is now beginning, and the location is going to be right near the McDonald's. The restaurant is expected to open later on next year, obviously with the dinosaur theme. I've posted pictures in the show notes before. Looks to be a very exciting new dining option that's going to be available in downtown Disney later on next year. Now, if you haven't seen this yet, or if you have not been a fan of the Year of a Million Dreams promotion, I challenge you to go to 2008DisneyDreamCatalog.com and not get a smile on your face, as Disney has unveiled some of the new offerings as part of the Year of a Million Dreams that money simply cannot buy but are truly priceless. The new 2008 Disney Dreams giveaway that starts on January 1st, 2008 features more than 1 million dreams, with more than 50% of them are new, to be awarded through a random process to eligible guests in both resorts and mail-in participants throughout 2008. Now, new dreams that are being added as part of the giveaway include the rain at Disney's private island for a day, where one winner is going to be awarded a private Bahamian paradise for the day on Castaway Key, Disney's cruise line private island, for the winner and up to three guests for sole use of the island for an entire day. You also get gourmet dining, recreation, beachfront cabana massages, tell me you're not smiling yet, entertainment, and overnight accommodations on a private yacht. In another dream, Disneyland Resort is giving guests a new guest suite inside the park's New Orleans Square using architectural renderings that Walt Disney himself commissioned for an in-park family retreat that was never built. Starting on January 31st of next year and continuing through most nights throughout the year, a different winner is going to be chosen through the random process to bring up to five guests to live out Walt's dream and spend the night inside this dream suite inside the Disneyland Park. On Main Street USA at the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World, one winner and up to three guests are going to be treated to an ultimate Disney character breakfast, where at least 25 Disney characters in attendance, including Mickey and Minnie, will serve you breakfast in the shadows of Cinderella Castle right on Main Street USA. It's going to be the largest Disney character breakfast ever presented and will be in honor of one lucky winner every day. New Year's Eve is going to be celebrated by a winner and up to three guests inside the Cinderella Castle suite, which is also going to include a four-day VIP vacation. Two winners and up to three guests can attend the film premiere of High School Musical 3, the next installment of the Disney Channel movie series. One of the most exciting new prizes is that a guest can take on the role of an honorary Sorcerer's Apprentice, where one winner and a guest get to go behind the scenes and behind the magic inside the secret labs of Walt Disney Imagineering. Now, This prize includes a tour of the Walt Disney Imagineering campus and an Imagineer-guided tour of Disneyland Park. Another one of the most exciting and coveted prizes is the Grand Marshall World Tour, where uh, one winner and up to three guests are going to be sent on a 15-day, 14-night trip 
visiting Disneyland, Disney's California Adventure, the Magic Kingdom, the rest of the Walt Disney World theme park resorts, as well as Disneyland Resort Paris, the Studios Paris, and Hong Kong Disneyland, and serve as an honorary Grand Marshal in each of Disney's daily parade. There's also VIP dinners inside the Finding Nemo Submarine Voyage. You can ride in a Disney hot air balloon uh, shaped like Spaceship Earth. You can appear on the Walt Disney World Christmas Day broadcast. So much more. Again, I invite you and encourage you to go out and check out 2008DisneyDreamCatalog.com. I'll put a link up in the show notes. You can get a, a great look at a, at a beautiful interactive catalog. And uh, the prizes this year, I think, are better than last year and something really, really to get excited about. Again, I applaud Disney for this promotion and taking it to the next level. To discuss any of these news stories, you can go to the forums at DisneyWorldTrivia.com or if you want to comment on them, you can send me an email to Lou at WDWRadio.com or call the voicemail at 206 202-4-WDW. There's some exciting things coming out of the Walt Disney World rumor mill this week, so let's start over at Disney's Hollywood Studios, where I'm hearing rumors that the Backlot Tour will be coming down over the next couple of years, and in fact, there are some operational issues with Catastrophe Canyon, which may be leading to that coming down. Now, I don't have any confirmation as yet as to what may go into that area, but I have heard from a number of sources that the Backlot Tour will be removed in its entirety within the next few years. Speaking of refurbishments, Spaceship Earth may be farther behind schedule than one would hope, and not only will soft openings probably not happen around the time that it was supposed to, but I'm now hearing rumblings that it may not be ready until around the holidays, or right before there. So again, this is just rumor, I don't have any uh, definite confirmation or any uh, opening date, and remember too, this date can change very quickly if Disney is able to get back on schedule, but if you are planning on going down and hoping to see the Uh, updated Spaceship Earth, I would not guarantee anything until at least the end of November or early December. And possibly verifying what many have said from the very beginning, and going against many rumors to the contrary, it looks like questions about the Contemporary Resort being a DVC resort may have been answered. And the answer is, yes, it looks like it will be a DVC. A source of mine has given me information to back up that rumor a couple of weeks ago, and many listeners wrote to me and quoted the 2008 Birnbaum Guide, which is the official guide to Walt Disney World, section about DVC that said, quote, For a one-time purchase and annual dues, members can enjoy vacation stays at Animal Kingdom Lodge Villas, Old Key West, Contemporary, Beach Club Villas, Boardwalk Villas, and obviously goes on to name the rest of the villas in and around the Walt Disney World property. So I think that, plus some of the other news I've heard, will probably lay to rest any speculation as to whether or not this will be a DVC resort or not. Again, I would expect an official announcement to come from Disney probably during the January uh, press event. Some late-breaking news and rumors from the parks, thanks to Disney Dame 2004. It appears that the old VMK Central location at the the Main Street Cinema is going to be reopening in November as an art gallery, much like the old King Gallery from Cinderella Castle, but according to her, quote, with a twist. Now, the Arribas Brothers Crystal Shop is going to be taking down that back wall and having a glass-making oven and laser cube art station installed in the enlarged space. This is expected to open before the Christmas holidays. Speaking of holidays, it appears as though the rumors of the Country Bear Jamboree Christmas special coming back this year are not true, and for the second consecutive year, this special show will not be returning. 
Last year's absence marked the first time in decades that the special show did not take place, and again, it is expected not to come back again this year. Some updates on the Star Tours rumors and uh, refurbs. It appears that some people online have been going on about how this uh, update may possibly feature simulator roofs opening up into an Omnimax screen, much like the shuttle experience over at the Kennedy Space Center. However, what I'm hearing is that because Star Tours is at every park and an Omnimax upgrade like that would involve such extensive modifications to the show buildings, you could pretty much put that rumor to rest. The Star Tours uh, update is primarily aimed at animatronics, improvement to in-cabin effects, sound, and visuals. So any rumors about the, the roof of the um, cabin opening up to reveal an Omnimax screen appear to not be true. And finally, while I hate to speak in generalities, uh, over the past couple of weeks, I've had a chance to see and visit with some of my sources and contacts. And I've stated for many months now that I think we are currently witnessing what history will look at as a very important time for the company, specifically the Walt Disney World theme parks. And I'll talk about some of these rumors in the coming months. But suffice it to say that there are some very big, very new and very exciting changes on the horizon for Disney and especially Walt Disney World. And I know that I'm personally looking forward to some of the changes that are going to be taking place. And again, I'll report on them in more specificity as we get closer. But always, as always, if you have any rumors that you want to share, send them to me at lou at wdwradio.com or you can call the hotline at 206-202-4WDW. That's 206-202-4939. And now, in honor of Epcot's 25th anniversary, we celebrate our history and look to the future. We've just begun to dream. As I said at the beginning of the show, I just got back from Walt Disney World for what was really one of my most enjoyable and memorable and truly magical experiences that I've had there over the past 35 years. And it was more than about being there to celebrate Epcot's anniversary or being at the NFFC convention or sharing an amazing evening with my wife at a true best of the best at Walt Disney World, Victoria and Albert's. There was something very special about this weekend and I want to try and recap it and try and explain that feeling and experience to you with the help of somebody else who was there who clearly gets it and I know feels the same way and that's obviously Jeff Pepper Hey Lou Hey Jeff Glad to be with you again yes. It hasn't been long It seems just like yesterday we were we were still yeah, through Epcot hand in hand well alright maybe not hand in hand but <laughs> um, yeah you know Jeff like I said I know that you feel the same way about what uh, this weekend was. And we both got there on Thursday. You got there a little bit later than I did. We didn't really hook up until Friday night. But what I want to do is just quickly start off by talking about my first couple of days there very briefly, uh, some of which I know you could speak to as well, uh, as we both had a chance to see a favorite attraction that recently reopened. But let me just quickly start off um, on Thursday, because my wife and I arrived on Thursday without the kids, which was kind of a uh, like a little second honeymoon for us. And... Uh, Quite an interesting task for my parents, but uh, we didn't even, once we got in, we didn't even bother going to the hotel. We headed right over to the Magic Kingdom um, because I was so excited to see the Haunted Mansion. And from walking up to the building and seeing 
um, the, the deep, rich colors that, that you can see on the outside um, from the paint job. It, it was just absolutely amazing. It was one of the best refurbishments I've ever seen of an attraction like this. I think it was just perfect in every detail. It, it was great. We, as you said, we got in late Thursday night, and uh, it was a family vacation for me. Uh, we they, Typically, we have gone on our you know extended kind of family vacations in the fall, and it was a little trickier this year because we had the kids didn't have a fall break, so we were kind of combining it with we had anticipated the Epcot um, celebration, but we were also trying to work in at least a few days for family stuff, and we basically knew that Friday morning we were hitting the the Magic Kingdom to go specifically there, and we did. And I agree with you; it it was beyond anything I expected. It was an amazing refurbishment, considering what I think was a, a relatively short downtime. I agree, and there were so many people who were critical of the fact that it closed uh, during the summer. Obviously. They need to keep into perspective that it needed to be open for Halloween. It needed to be open for the holidays. So the, the timing was appropriate. And again, for what they did inside, uh, what I had read online, and I tried not to look at pictures, but you couldn't help but be, be a little bit spoiled as to what was going on. I, I was blown away, again, from the outside to the queue to the changing portrait inside. I mean, everything was just amazing. And I think one of the great uh, effects that I really, really thought was spectacular um, was the the glowing eyes that that transitioned so well into um, the wallpaper? Yeah, the the wallpaper kind of had an extension of what it was, and they it, and exactly though it it very much even though it did some very new and different things, it still stayed ingrained in the elements that have been the haunted mansion. And, and you're talking about the wallpaper there, this the stretching room. I just didn't go in with a whole lot of ex- expectations beyond just I heard that you know the audio was going to be improved and it would be more you know cir- that his voice would be traveling throughout the room and everything but there are sound effects enhancements there that I just ne- would have never considered yet were just just knocked down unexpected but great um, mm-hmm. just it added an entirely new dimension to the experience that was just just very very neat I, and I guess I mean, I mean we're trying to stay a little bit you know spoiler free here so I'm, I'm trying to be careful what what I'm saying you know to folks but it 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 didn't change fundamentally but it's very very enhanced from what it was well I had an opportunity over the weekend to um, talk to Jason Sorrell who is the Imagineer who's worked on the Haunted Mansion he obviously wrote the Pirates of the Caribbean and the Haunted Mansion books and we talked a lot about the refurbishment of the attraction and it was very important to he and the other Imagineers to remain true to the classic attraction not to introduce anything that would be um, that would take away from sort of that um, take away from the integrity of the attraction. And actually, two of the parts that we just talked about were, that were my favorite parts of the attraction are things that Jason suggested and worked on, which were the sound effects in the stretching room and the wallpaper. And when you, if you've seen it or when you get a chance to see it, uh, for those of you who haven't, you'll see what we're talking about and you'll see just how spectacular they are. Um, the bride scene upstairs and the, and the, um, the, the the new scene with the um, all the Escher-like stairs is just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, for the things that were there, the, the it's brighter. The the um, the ghosts are brighter. They're more vivid, and you really um, it, it was just perfectly done in, in every detail. And I and I really applaud Disney for what they did with this. Yeah, the the one thing that I was really happy with, and 
one thing that I was, and I wouldn't say it was ever a full-scale disappointment, but I was never thrilled with the spiders. Um, I thought of all the things in the Haunted Mansion, they were the closest to kind of a more amusement park-style funhouse prop. And so when the choice was made to take those out and replace it with what is the, they're calling the staircase room or the stair room, was just a great decision. And when you consider that, I just I remember the last few years going through those rooms where the spiders were, and you could even barely see the spiders. Mm-hmm. The lighting had gotten to the point where it was hard to make them out. And it's a jaw dropper when when you kind of come into that new room. It's it's just beyond amazing how just full of eye candy it is. Yeah, and again, without spoiling anything, the thing that I really enjoyed about this, and, and we'll kind of um, like end our mini review here, is that not only was the integrity of the story kept intact, but it was expanded upon, and you really get a, a much more clearer sense of the story of the Haunted Mansion, and they attach names to certain characters, um, and you'll see when you go through exactly what we're talking about. So um, very, very well done. I, I have absolutely no complaints and, and really, really enjoyed it. But uh, it, 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 I'm just going to say, too, that it's, it's a very encouraging trend that, you know, we're hearing rumors about Space Mountain coming up for a major refurbishment. We've seen Small World, Pirates, all getting these upgrades. So it's, it's very, very happy developments. And it just makes you wonder and, like you said, excited about what may be coming up when Spaceship Earth reopens later on this year. Yeah, absolutely. So the rest of my Thursday, uh, we went, we checked into Coronado Springs. We stayed there because the NFFC events were there. Um, and later on that night, we, we got dressed. We had a, a dinner meeting over at Victoria and Albert's over at the Grand Floridian. And I'm going to cover this and do a full review on a later show because I think it's very deserving of it. But I, I just need to say this. Eating there truly defines what a dining experience really means. And I never understood it when people talked about it and raved about it. Um, But having eaten at many of the other signature restaurants around property like California Grill or Artist Point or Yachtsman uh, or Flying Fish, it, it really deserves the accolades and reviews that it gets from the room itself to the presentation to the food and the service um, it truly is one of Disney's best of the best um, and, and one of the best experiences I've ever had at Walt Disney World. Um, we were there for almost four hours and, and I can't say enough good things. And again, I'll, I'll do a full review on this um, because it was such an exceptional experience and uh, and truly something that was memorable for, for my wife and I. And they let you in with your cargo shorts and your polo? They did not. I actually, um, I, uh, <laughs> I had to dress for, I actually was not in logo gear, if you can believe it or not. <laughs> you know, I was going to get like a Seinfeld blazer I, 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 with the big crest of, of the question mark. But no, you gentlemen have to wear jackets. Um, the, the, the attire is very formal and deservedly so. And that is part of the experience um, because it was just, I, I cannot say enough good things about it other than getting the bill. <laughs> you know, forget the bill. <laughs> understand that it's more than just going out to eat. You really, from from getting dressed for dinner while you're down there um, and everything that happens before and and during and after the meal, um, the food was exceptional, the service was exceptional, really one of the best experiences I've I've ever, ever had on property. So. Maybe someday for me. (laughs) Research trip. Research trip. (laughs) Lou, are you going to take me to Victorian Alberts? Yeah, <laughs> Why don't you take me this time? I'll take you next time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
but um, Friday really was the first day uh, for me. There were, there were some events on Thursday, but Friday was the first day of events for the NFFC convention that were held up in the uh, Living Seas VIP Lounge, which was a, a treat just to be up there as well. And actually, all the signage still refers to it as the Living Seas. It's not the Seas with Nemo and Friends, uh, possibly because, you know, there, there's no sponsor for it now, so nobody really uses that uh, other than for special events. But the, the real thrill for me on, on Friday was um, having some sort of intimate uh, discussion sessions and presentations from people like Charlie Ridgway and Dave Smith, uh, uh, Dara Trujillo, who is from Disney Merchandise, who did a, a great, I mean, she was excellent, and a great presentation about the synergy between merchandise and other divisions in the company, like food and like um, just different parts of the property, and really gave uh, a wonderful discussion about that. Uh, Marty Sklar was there, who gave us the first of uh, seminars very similar to the ones that he gave to the annual pass holders and guests on October 1st. Um, which was really, really um, a nice time. And then I was invited to something that I had never done before, which is a private dinner party up in Canada. And they had actually rented out the entire second level. You know, Jeff, when you walk up to the second level by the hotel and then you have to walk down to O Canada? Well, that whole second level was blocked yep. off for us. And they had a, a wonderful buffet um, and, and dinner and drinks. And the food was outstanding. I mean, I know it was food and wine, but they had things like elk. And you're like... But it, it was delicious. Um, really, really nice experience. And I, and I want to thank actually the people from uh, Mouse Surplus for inviting us up to there. It was a really, really um, nice time that my wife and I had. So, And uh, we actually called it an early night on Friday because um, we went to the Illuminations dessert party, saw that with the NFFC people, and then went back because I knew what the next couple of days were going to bring for us. Oh, no, well, there, buddy. You bumped into some people, and it, it, no, no, nobody really of note. No, no. Rode, an rode an attraction or two with them. <laughs> oh, that's right. I guess we right. didn't I go to bed this. quite that early. You know what? The, the days, and I'm sure you you feel the same. The days just very quickly kind of all mushed into one another because it was just so hectic. And we talk about not getting sleep. I mean, I really didn't get any sleep on this trip. There were a few hugs and embraces there that night. You know, hey, good to see you. We, we had a moment after... after not Jennifer Love Hewitt. Not Jennifer Love Hewitt. <laughs> Family-friendly podcast. But, um, yeah, yeah, no, we, we ran into Jeff and his family um, afterwards, and we uh, we kind of hung out in Epcot for a little while. What, what did we ride that night? We did, uh, I think we went and did Grand Fiesta, because um, my kids hadn't done it yet. Um, That's right. You and I had done it back in May, and, um, and then from there, we... Uh, we were just kind of hanging out and just casually walking around. And then we were heading out of the park and decided to try to hit Soren uh, before we went out and then uh, did Soren. So it was, it was oh, that's time. right. That's right. Because it was extra magic hours that night. I forgot about that. Yeah. All right. But uh, Saturday for me was another early morning because that was the show and sale over at Coronado Springs for the NFFC. And if you've never been to one of these things, it, it's wonderful because I've mentioned on the show before, there were some incredible vendors there who come from all over the country and have any sort of collectible you could think of. Disney was there. They had a lot of merchandise they were selling as well. There were some, uh, a lot of surplus stuff from Disney. Somebody had elements from the Sleeping Beauty Castle from the uh, Happy Celebration on Earth. I mean, these huge, huge pieces that they were selling. There were ride vehicles, there was somebody there from the Antiques Roadshow who was giving appraisals. Um, 
I actually left with more than I with I left with more boxes than I came with, which is not the point <laughs> of these things, but it just goes to show you what kind of stuff was brought in there and why I'll never bring my wife to one of these things again. So, <laughs> but uh, I also ran into some old friends there, like I said, like Jason Sorrell, uh, Greg Airbar, who um, wrote the Mouse Tracks book, Kim Button from the Disney Q Line Survival Guide. Um, I also was part of a discussion. We ended up doing sort of a roundtable discussion with myself and Dave Koenig, who wrote Reality Land, the new Walt Disney World uh, history book, as well as Charlie Ridgway, which uh, which was really, really a lot of fun. And uh, there was an NFFC dinner that night. We actually decided to just blow it off and do food and wine instead. And um, we ate our way around the world. We started in Canada, and uh, I tried my best to make it all the way over to Mexico and just could not do it. We stopped at about 11 food stations. And again, I'll do a full-blown review of, of food and wine because the food was just phenomenal. Yeah, you, 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 you bumped into us again that night. We were actually eating in Mexico, and uh, you guys kind of rolled up to the table to say hi. <laughs> well, I had to get in line behind all your other fans first, of course. <laughs> we, had, we, we offered you to you know, sit down and eat, and you kind of puffed your cheeks out and then, <laughs> I think, ran to the restroom. <laughs> yeah, I, I tried to tell myself that I was walking it all off. Everything I was eating, I was just walking off. But, um, again, it was all in the name of research, so... But um, I, we should really get get moving on to Sunday and Monday because that's really, for the most part, the reason why we were there. And, and I'm going to tell you in advance that uh, I am going to be unapologetic in, in my admiration for what these next two days um, and how they were between Celebration 25 and all the things that Disney did for the Celebration 25 event and for... Um, the celebration of Epcot's 25th, because like I said at the beginning, Jeff, this was without question one of my most memorable trips to Walt Disney World ever. Yeah, it, I, I feel exactly the same way. Uh, I'm, I've been characterized as being overly Pollyanna-ish at times on my blog and, and on the show, but yeah, I'm not going to be apologetic about it either. No. <laughs> it, it, it was an amazing, amazing time, and it and it started on Sunday. Exactly. And, you know, you've heard me talk before, and I've had Adam Roth on, on the show before. He and, and Jen Waite and Jason Diffendahl put together this Celebration 25 fan event to commemorate and celebrate Epcot's 25th. And rather than just have events on Monday, they spread it out over two days. And, uh, you know, everything they did, Jeff, from, from the, the moment they started this, really shows that they understood what this day was all about because it was all about celebrating community and everybody came together as a single community no matter where they were from geographically no matter where they were from um you know what their their website allegiances were or forums that they belonged to um i got to epcot about six thirty in the morning uh people were already there from disney setting up tables by the kennel right outside of epcot's gates you were there. Adam was there. Jessica from If We Can Dream It was the first person there. She was the first person registered. She was there with her mom, um, you know, at at six thirty. And actually, on Sunday, we registered about two hundred and fifty people. Uh, I think they said from from four or five different countries. And and to keep to give everybody kind of a perspective on that is initially up until about I guess what about six weeks ago, you know, that was roughly what the registration was. I think in. You know, getting up into the last few weeks here, the, the registration literally snowballed, and so just to have that, that amount of people just on the first day, 
was amazing. It, it was an amazing turnout just just to get them up up and running for that first day's events. I was a little worried that I was going to run out of lanyards. I was little. I was literally <laughs> scurrying around uh, before I came down, trying to find as many lanyards as I could, um, because you, you certainly didn't want anybody to to be you know not be able to get some of the handouts that we were given. You actually were generous enough to provide the schedules to everybody, uh, so they didn't have to worry about printing them out. Everybody had them on postcards. And again, I, I can't say enough good things about what Disney did. They had representatives there from the second we got there. They gave us tables. They helped us out with anything at all that, that we needed um, and, and that Adam and, and his team needed. His parents were there who were such wonderful people. Um, clearly, and they well, they should be very proud of, of what their son was able to accomplish. And again, I remind everybody that he's 16. And that's not to take away from his age. It's to just go to show how mature he is and how intelligent he is to have been able to put together what he did and get the cooperation and the backing of Disney for this. And um, it, it's really yeah, a testament it's, to his efforts. Yeah, we can kind of send a shout out. Uh, the gentleman with Disney that was uh, helping us out with the registration there um, was named Brent. And he was a real good guy, uh, very supportive. And even he, you know, when, I, when I, I got there actually pretty early, I was one of the first people to get there and he greeted me. And he had nothing but just... He was just so amazed and very had enormous amount of respect for what was going on because I think really, as we will probably likely talk about, I don't think they've ever been, you know, the Disney managers and, and the people have ever been exposed to anything quite on this level before from, from you know, a fan-based kind of, of get-together or movement or community. As right. you say. And Heather, who was also there from Disney, um, who was kind of one of their events coordinators, was kind of shadowing us and with us throughout the two days. And she was... Exceptional. I mean, she's one of these people who defines what a cast member is. And, you know, maybe we can kind of just allude to it here. She and the person you spoke to and so many people that we ran into throughout the day or the two days were so excited. The cast members were genuinely excited about what was going on, not just about what Disney was doing, but about this outpouring of support from the online and the fan community. Uh, They were thrilled. They really were thrilled to have us there. You're right, and it's. I think sometimes we lose perspective of a fact of, you know, we 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 think of the cast members and we know they do great jobs, and but they take an enormous pride and identity in who they are and where they are, and I think sometimes we for, you know we see them all as Walt Disney cast members, but there was such an element among them of we're Epcot, we work at Epcot, and we're very proud of working at Epcot. And that really came through in everything we did those two days. I mean, these people were so proud of where they were and who they who they were the cast members for. I mean, it just it just permeated everything that I was running into that day. Well, I, I give a lot of that credit not just to the cast members, but I, I want to give credit to Jim McPhee. And he was on the show last week. I'm going to have him on again this week um, because I, I had a chance to talk to him during the events. And you could see it was very important for he and for Disney to encourage and to get the cast excited backstage for what was going to be going on on stage. And I think he did an amazing job of doing that for both the cast that's been there since 1982 and some of the new people who maybe don't remember some of the things that we're celebrating, um, you know, through these past 25 years. But that electricity and that excitement in the air that I'm going to refer to many, many times as we talk um, clearly started and came right from the cast members from the second you got to Disney. 
So I had to leave briefly. I had to take my wife to the airport. She unfortunately had to go home that day. But when I came back, I was able to catch the second half of John Crigliano's history walk. And he kind of started off on the eastern side of Epcot, went over to the west side, and then went back towards um, the fountain. And he, he did an amazing job. Um, he really did a fascinating job um, of really taking people through and past all the different attractions and through Epcot's history. I think people really enjoyed it. He kept people uh, excited about it and uh, definitely kept their interest, whether they were you know, the hardcore Disney fans or people who were just maybe not familiar with some of the older Epcot. But the real treat for the day was while he was standing in front of the fountain, um, everybody kind of stops and looks and he keeps going on, not realizing that Jim McPhee himself is walking up behind him and kind of just listening into to what he was saying. And uh, it was really a, a nice treat for have him to have him come by because you could see from talking to him, not only is he very accessible, which is something that you haven't really seen before with somebody in Disney Manager, but he gets it um, because he makes himself so accessible. And the way he spoke about the event, he spoke not just as the vice president of Epcot. He spoke as somebody who was there on opening day and was excited about it. And you can clearly see in the way he talked about things and, the, and he showed us the map that they were going to be handing out the next day. Um, and then obviously when he took Adam on, on stage in front of the Fountain of Nations, I mean, I, I, the kid deservedly so had the biggest grin I've ever seen. And uh, he, he deserves all the accolades and all the recognition that he got that day and over the next two days. But even on Sunday, there was such an excitement in the air. I mean, you could you could see it on the people's faces. And again, I, I'm going to keep talking about this. And, and really on Monday is when I'm going to uh, allude to this um, because you saw it from everybody that was there. Uh, a bunch of us, uh, John and a few other people and I, walked around. We wanted to go over and see Wonders of Life. And as we're walking uh, out of the pavilion, I say, oh, you know, see that guy who just walked by? That was Marty Sklar. And they all kind of stopped and started running over to him. And... To give you an idea of just what a, a wonderful person Marty is, he stopped. He was by himself. He stopped. We, we chatted for about 15, 20 minutes. He was he was very personable, a very likable guy, and he's just a very down-to-earth guy. He's actually from New Jersey, not too far from where I live, um, and uh, really nice of him. Just you know, He could have very easily just you know gone about his business, but he stopped, and he talked to us and took pictures with us, and you could see, Jeff, he really appreciated the fact that we were all so excited about what we were doing. And I think that Lou was really interesting about this is that I think for Jim McPhee and Marty Sklar, I think there was an element of, you know, there was a lot of kidding going around. I heard a lot of people go rock star, you know, and that's kind of what it was. And I think it kind of took these guys by surprise. Uh, it, when Jim McPhee would kind of show up, people knew him. They knew who he was. And I think he was taken aback by that because he's not a very public face for the company in any way, shape or form. And even someone like Marty Sklar, who, you know, most of your avid Disney fans, you know, know, know the name and know, know how prominent he is in, in Walt Disney Imagineering. It's still, I don't think this type of attention is something that they've been all that used to over the years, because what we're talking about here is we're out in the middle of a theme park and, you know, a hundred heads are turning <laughs> when these guys are walking up. And it was, it was exciting. It, it was very, very fun and exciting to see gentlemen like this get this type of recognition, especially in the case of Marty Sklar. I mean, this guy is a true Disney legend. And for so long, you know, these guys didn't have a prominent place. You know, they weren't the celebrities that, you know, the movie stars and the Mickey Mouse characters and everything are. And they're really getting to that point where they are now. And it's, it's just really, 
it's really just a happy thing to see them get this type of recognition and be able to enjoy it. You know, this is one thing that that's been consistent in all the people that I've had a chance to speak to, and and I and I keep using the same term, but I it's true. I, I consider it a, a true privilege to have been able to talk to people like Jim McPhee and Marty Sklar and Charlie Ridgway and and Ralph Kent and George McGinnis. And they're all, you know, they all don't realize how important what they've done is to us, not just on a a theme park level, but on a personal level, because we enjoy it so much. And they're all very humble. And the first thing they all do is they share the credit with the rest of the people on their team. And and that goes from Marty Sklar all the way down to, you know, anybody that I've spoken to or or had a chance to interview. And it just goes to show um, the type of people that they are. and and they they kind of do deserve that that rock star status to us because that that's how we look at them. I'll admit that when it's, I interviewed just, it, I'll admit when I interviewed Marty Sklar and, and when I, I'm going to play it on the show, I didn't even hear what his answer was because I was so excited to be talking to Marty Sklar. <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's just it was so just so very cool to be be able to be around these guys and have them accessible to us in this way. Yeah, and and to that point. Uh, after we left there, a bunch of us went over to um, Mexico to have dinner at the San Angel Inn. And as we we're walking, uh, one of the guys was saying how they couldn't believe we just spoke to Marty Sklar. And I said, oh, you see that guy right in front of us? That's Dave Smith. And I tapped him on the shoulder and said, hey, Dave, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And next thing you know, we're chatting with Dave Smith as we're walking through um, the Mexico Pavilion. And again, you know, very accessible guy. And for those of us who are, are big Disney fans, you know, he's important to us. He's important to us because of what he's done. And uh, again, very friendly, very accessible, really wonderful guy. So, and for those folks out there, he is the guardian of the lost treasures of Disney. <laughs> he, he, he is the he gatekeeper. Is our, yeah, he is our he is our gatekeeper. <laughs> so. Let's uh, let's get on to Monday because Jeff, this this is obviously what it's all about. And talking about the lack of sleep, I was up at five thirty again. I was at Epcot by this by six thirty. Now instead of seeing, you know, one car in the parking lot being Jessica's, there was maybe twenty cars in the parking lot because there were a lot of people who were very excited about getting there early. And uh, registration started was supposed to start later, but people were already lined up to start registering and. The kind of the the first defining moment of that day was we're sitting there, we're talking and and kind of just going over some registration stuff. And around 730 in the morning, you start to hear the 1982 music from Epcot that played consistently throughout. And Jeff, everybody who was there, no matter what they were doing or who they were talking to, everybody stopped and they smiled. And that was the first kind of moment that I can talk to that really just started to make this day something special. In, in what you're speaking to is just kind of the theme that just stuck with me the entire day. And it was that all this time, you know, you and I, this past year, you know, on the show, on my blog, we've been celebrating Epcot. We've been talking about the old attractions. We've talked about the music. You know, we've, we've talked about the specific songs. And we always, <clears throat> excuse me, we always approach it from, you know, we're geeks. You know, we're we're, we love this stuff, but it's very, very much us, and it's just it's such a narrow focus. And all of a sudden, when you're there and you're hearing this music, and you're stealing the tangible nostalgia being brought back, that's how the day was. Mm-hmm. The the people who brought this event about on in, on Disney's side of it, uh, the celebration, the ceremonies, all the things, 
it was very, very much rooted in in Epcot's history. And you you were bumping into it all throughout the day, like you said, just right with the start of the music. And it's interesting is we'll, we'll kind of go where the, where the day ended as well in that regard. Yeah, and, you know, I, I alluded to this before and I said I was going to keep mentioning, but you're right, there was something, it was palpable. The excitement was truly palpable. And I've been there for other events, I've been there for other special occasions, and I've never seen it like the way it was there. And it was from the guests to the cast to everybody um there was just something about this day and as the day goes on people were laughing people were crying uh, and again unapologetically doing both people were singing people were dancing and the atmosphere was just you know and again forgive me if you don't understand what i'm talking about if you weren't there but if you were you you know what i'm talking about um and it's something that i've never felt at at disney before and, and i think that really goes to show that the power of the community and power of what um, Celebration 25 was able to put together and power of what Disney... I mean, Disney got it. Disney may have been late to the game about deciding what to do, but they got it. And starting off by playing that music evidences that fact clearly. Absolutely. And everything they did reached back. Everything they did reached back to celebrate Epcot Center. It, It went back to the very roots and celebrated what Epcot was 25 years ago. And it, it truly was, you know, that type of celebration. I mean, they were very much all about what what Epcot was, where it started. I, I, I'm kind of rambling, but it's just, it amazed me because, you know, the, the park has evolved so dramatically that they were, they put it very much in tune to where it was when it began. And, and everything they did, you know, and again, to, Hate to use, I hate to sound Pollyash, but it was perfect. And, you know, from the merchandise that they introduced, and again, there was this mad dash for mouse gear for the limited edition merchandise, which was shirts and figment, numbered figment plushes, um, of course, some pins and some watches. Even the merchandise shows that they got it because the shirts were of the original Epcot Center poster. And, the, and what they chose to introduce as a piece of merchandise was figment. Figment wearing a Dreamfinder coat with all the original logos on it, numbered uh, a 1,200. And it, they could have done so much more. They could have tried to capitalize on it, but they didn't. And, and I think even in that regard, um, I think it was just wonderful what they did. And, and I love the merchandise. And of course, you know, I, I ran and had to get mine as well. So, it, Yeah, they, they, they gave out, as you mentioned, uh, what Jim McVie had, had, had shown you guys on Sunday. The, the guide maps. I mean, everybody was nuts. When we when we saw the guide maps were out, we're all scrambling for the guide maps. And they did this wonderful combination of, it was the daily guidebook, but it was combined with a retro map of what the park looked like on opening day. It was basically a reproduction of the map was incorporated into the guide map, was a, a reproduction of the map that was made available on opening day. And everybody was nuts over it. I mean, it's like you said, that tangible excitement over just these very small mm-hmm. things, these very small gestures that they did that just hit home runs. I mean, the fact that when everybody walked through the gate, they were handed a button. They were handed a button that featured Mickey and Figment. Uh, Figment is back again here. You know, they were just, they were hitting, you know, it was lightning in a bottle everywhere you turned. It, it was just amazing. And again, it wasn't, you know, it's funny that you mentioned the maps because I think for a lot of us, the map was our favorite collectible of the day. And that's the thing that we're going to treasure. 
more than more than a plush, more than a t-shirt, more than a pin. It's the map. And it goes to show that Disney wasn't trying to make this a, hey, let's capitalize on a merchandise thing, as opposed to let's give people what we know they're going to like, what we as fans would like to get. And they just, like you said, they hit a home run in every aspect, even before anything took place, even before the rope was dropped. It, it, it was just, it was perfect. It was absolutely perfect. So, and speaking and of that rope drop. Speaking of the rope drop, um, as you may or may not know, um, at at the parks every morning, there's a family of the day that's chosen and kind of to uh, ceremoniously open up the parks. And at Epcot, they do something very cool. And you, if you can get there before rope drop, it's something great to see because all the characters come out and zooming across from Interventions West Breezeway comes a real test track car. And the family of the day gets to actually ride in the test track car and gets driven over to test track. And lo and behold, Jeff, uh, who was the, of all day of days, October 1st, this Epcot's 25th anniversary, who was that lucky family that can take this memory home forever to be the family of the day for Epcot's 25th anniversary? I don't know. I, I didn't recognize them. They said they were from North Carolina. Acknowledge right. a legacy and restore the dream, because I'm I'm proud to say that Mr. Pepper and his and his wonderful family uh, were chosen as the as the family of the day. Yeah, you you talk about you know dreams come true. It was it was an amazing amazing movement, and it was it was something bizarre because it, it was you know the kids you know Cody is my son Cody and Jake they're my two boys. They're rope drop guys. They love being up. And they love interacting, and it's and it's not so much. It's so much that they want to be in the right place at the right time to make that dash to that first attraction, and so they actually it was interesting because you know my wife Elaine was in the gift shop as you were saying. <laughs> she was in line because the lines had formed. Uh, the, the rope was across the center area of the plaza there, and so they had made accessible uh, the gift shops and the pin station, and so so many people were lined up and. She was actually, you know, in line to buy the gifts, and the kids were up at the rope drop hanging out, and I kind of made my way up there to hang out with them, and it was kind of a fun atmosphere because, you know, we were bumping into so many people that we knew and people that we had known online and were meeting for the first time, and it was a very social atmosphere, and what happened was is that the kids started interacting with a very, very nice cast member named Norm, and he started doing card tricks for them, and this guy was very engaging. He was very fun, and I think that was the part that just really kind of I think made it just amazing was he asked them to sing a song. Um, he said, can you guys sing? And he said, but you have to sing an Epcot song. <laughs> and I think he was trying to stump them. Yeah, I think he was like, they're, 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 you know, my sons are 14 and, and 10. And it was just like, but you got to sing an original Epcot song. And the kids, you know, like I said, apple not falling from the tree. They didn't blink. <laughs> Did you know it was Cody and Pepper? <laughs> yeah, it's like, all right, what do you want to do? One little spark. And they immediately launched into one little spark. And of course, Norm is there, and there's other cast members there, and it turns into this spontaneous sing-along, and they're all going, they know one little spark. <laughs> and so, I don't know if that's what took it over the top. A, a few minutes later, we were we were invited under the rope to be the family of the day, and it was just it was an amazing moment. And I have to say, the one thing I want to share is to kind of go back to what we were talking about the cast members. When when we went over and then we were we were just kind of standing around and they were doing taking a lot of pictures and they were just getting ready for the rope drop these people were so excited um we met two of the dream squad members who hung out with us for a while and were talking to us and i think one gentleman's name was pete and 
he was just he looked we were wearing shirts and like so many of the fans we had all we all had a lot of homemade designs and homemade shirts um i had the the, the legacy design that i had featured on my, my blog and we also the, the kids and my wife had this kind of license plate kind of style design and when he saw our shirts he said oh wow look at those shirts those are incredible and he says where did you get them and and we said my wife said we made them and he just lit up he was like that is awesome that is incredible i just oh you people love epcot oh this is great you know he was so excited that he was with people that were every bit as passionate about this place as he was and it just blew me away it just blew me away because it was like these guys were just jonesing i mean they were just they were so wired they were so fired up and you're just you know we thought we were the ones that were fired up we thought you know we were the crazy we're the crazy fans out here that are you know and they're all looking at us like we're a bunch of you know extremists you know mm-hmm. and they were every bit as wired as we were and it was just it was amazing i mean i just it just blew me away and that's what you were talking about it was this it was this shared electricity it was just it was we were all on the same page cast members guests everybody were just all together and feeling what we're feeling and it it was just it was just an amazing moment it was i we had such a great time just for the five ten minutes that we were standing there talking to them it was it was great you alluded to something I was going to make reference to because at this time is when people started to immediately make a mad dash for the front of the Fountain of Nations stage. And for those guests who were there who didn't realize what this day meant, they were probably saying, why are these people not running over to Soren or to Test Track? But immediately people started to gather there. And the one thing that I saw, in addition to, I'm happy to say, you know, a thousand people in yellow lanyards was the number of people who for lack of a better word, dressed for the occasion. They made homemade shirts or they came dressed as figment or they brought their figment plushes from 1982. You know, some people really went all out and this instant bond that everybody had, you could see it. I mean, everybody was talking and having a great time and I actually went up and I did a number of interviews with uh, a lot of guests who were there to try and get a feeling of, of why they felt it was important to be there or where they came from uh, and what this day meant to them. To people from Disney who, like you said, got it. You know, I spoke to two of the Disney ambassadors, Michael and Lowell, who, you know, clearly had a, a passion for what they were doing and were so excited to be there and be part of it. And they love the fact that so many people were out and making today something as important as it was um, to guests and to cast. Yeah, it was just that 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 time, kind of the anticipation going leading up to the rededication ceremony was just it was amazing and as you said the music was playing in the background just all the elements were there it was just it was just charged i mean there's no other way to describe it i actually took audio of the rededication ceremony rather than play it on the show i'm going to make it available as a download over at disneyworldtrivia.com in the download section and I'll, i'll briefly apologize for some of the sections of the audio but it's important that, that I note it because I'm apologizing for the fact that people were screaming as it was leading up to the event and people were singing and you could just, you could hear it, you know, it, it's loud because people, there were so many people crowd. I was literally at the rope right in front of the podium where all of us short people need to stand so we could actually see what's going on. But the people behind me were so excited. Um, and again, people were laughing and they were crying and you know, Jim McPhee spoke and some other representatives from, from Disney spoke and Marty Sklar came out escorted by Mickey and Minnie and people just lost their minds. And, you know, women and grown men alike 
were crying at what was going on. And I think what they did with the rededication and the pouring of waters, kind of recreating what they did 25 years ago uh, from all the different nations pouring in water symbolically into the Fountain of Nations and the parades of future world cast members and the World Showcase cast members. It was just... It was just enough. I mean, I keep using the word perfect, Jeff, but you know what I'm talking about. It wasn't too over the top, and it really embodied what this whole thing was all about. And and I really applaud Disney for doing it. And then just kind of, uh, you know, capping it all off with daytime fireworks and the fountains going off and the Epcot music um, was just better than I could have expected. And what's important to mention here is, you know, when I, I keep kind of hitting on how they were reaching back, they were reaching back. And one of the things that they did that just brought me close to tears was they focused on We've Just Begun to Dream. And that was the opening day mantra for Epcot. And it was also the theme that was used for the opening of the park. Uh, theme music that was done at you know the opening ceremonies as the park opened those, those first number of years. And a, a lot of people, it, a lot of folks who follow Epcot, it's not an audio recording that's readily available. You've got to kind of dig around the internet for it. But there are some recordings out there that people have. And it's a song that's called We've Just Begun to Dream. And they keyed on that before the ceremony. It, it became basically the theme of the rededication. And I think that touched so many of the fans out there because it's something that you have to be a pretty hardcore fan of Epcot, you know, to really kind of remember and still be aware of and the fact that they just they made that the theme of the day and it carried through the rest of the day that even it even carried through to other parts of the day and other events throughout the day and that just really hit home with me that the fact that they reached back and and, and grabbed a hold of something that was so significant like that you we clearly both you know took the same thing away from it because one of the things i had written in my notes was that they did go back to some of the taglines and, and phrases from the original epcot that kind of carry through throughout the day that was one. I think if we can dream it, we could do it was something else you heard people talking about. And when one little spark was either mentioned or would play, everybody literally just broke out into song, no matter where they were. And uh, whether it was guests and cast. One, yeah. Yeah. That was one of the things that just struck me all the time. It's, you know, we talked, we've talked, we've been talking about Dreamfinder and Figment. And I really am going to be interested to see. Where the, what the future holds for these characters. I know you talked to uh, Ron last week, and we've been doing our retrospectives and everything like that. But there, these characters were so significant. It's as you said, people were walking around with Figment. Figment was all over the place on buttons, pins. He was so significant to the fans, and he's he is really that official mascot, official character of Epcot Center, and even Dreamfinder is significant in that way too. But one particular moment that I think you just kind of alluded to was. During Marty Sklar's presentation, he did a um, played a musical kind of retrospective, um, kind of was kind of like a slide show uh, medley of significant Epcot music, and all the songs are playing. And literally, when one little spark, the the, the segment of one little spark came on, there's like huge applause. <laughs> I mean, there was just this direct emotional connection to it. And and again, later on in the day, um, when you know we talked about, I, I can kind of jump ahead a little bit. But when the music was playing later on in the evening after um, Illuminations, there's a spontaneous sing-along just breaks mm -hmm. out with, right. with one little spark. And it was like that kind of stuff that was just happening. And it was just amazing because, you know, we've, we've had some cynical, you know, comments here and there, you know, on the Internet, and, you know, the last few months about 
overplaying the nostalgia of Epcot. And sorry, guys, you can't overplay it. Um, it's tangible and it's loved and it's out there. And it, it really demonstrated that on this day. Exactly. And one thing I, you know, I was going to kind of mention this as, as we recap the two days, but maybe here's a good point, is that what took place that day, Jeff, on, on so many different uh, levels has never happened before and will probably never happen again. And the Celebration 25 gathering of 1,200 people and Epcot um, and Disney embracing what they were doing and and bringing them into the fold and being part of what Disney was doing and that electricity that was in the air and people dancing and singing and, you know, we had 100 people go ride Imagination um, and just that, that excitement. I don't know, you know, if, if something like this happens again, if it could ever be captured the way it was because this was the first time and maybe the only time that something like this ever takes place in, in this kind of manner. I think because you know one of the things I, I was I've been thinking about a lot since since Monday and you know we're kind of talking about it before we started recording is it it was a very sincere genuine and in some ways very spontaneous type of celebration you know in the past the celebrations that Disney has for anniversaries are very much marketing driven they're promotional based you know they last for 12 months or 18 months and while there there is a sincerity and a genuineness to them that they are celebrating something very significant this didn't have that you know this was kind of everything else was kind of melted down to just this very very direct celebration that wasn't tied up in promotions and it wasn't tied up in marketing it just was what it was a very sincere and genuine celebration and it came through on both ends as as we keep us saying it came through through the cast and it came through through the guests and it was just this meeting of both that like you said, I, I I wonder if it will ever be recreated or or anything even close to it happening again. No, I I don't think so because this was about celebrating a specific moment in time that will never come back again. You know, Animal Kingdom's tenth anniversary will never be anything like this. Um, and you know, who knows what the future will bring? I, I think to a certain degree, this may be a defining moment because this is maybe the first time that Disney really sees the passion of the community and the guests into things that are so important to us and just the way things fell into place here won't ever happen again and like you said this was about not a, a long-term celebration not anything this was a singular moment in time that disney um honored and and represented in, in just a perfect way and i think they did just enough and not too much or not too little um and did it just right and i don't know how else to maybe articulate um, how much I applaud Disney's efforts in this, and obviously the efforts of, of everybody who was involved in Celebration 25. Exactly. It just, you know, I know we're, we're sounding over-the-top emotional, <laughs> sentimental, but it's, it's if you were there, you understand. Um, it, was a, it was a very social event in that you were with so many like-minded individuals that, and you, it was it was a happy event because so it, there were so many of us there that were meeting each other for the first time, even though we have met we have met online through the forums and the communities online. There was just so much to celebrate. You know, mm -hmm. we were celebrating Epcot, we were celebrating our friendships, we were celebrating our shared passions. Um, I just to mention again, one of the most exciting times for me was meeting Jessica um, from If We um, If We Can Dream It. Uh, we've mentioned her on on the um, the show few times before she's a bud she's a she's a pal and to meet her in person and her and her mom mim 
they were just these wonderful people and it just it just made everything so special to meet her and meet I, I, I saw Deb Wills again I met her briefly at Magic Meets and we got to chat ever so briefly but it just there was just such an excitement in that social aspect of it as well I, we ran into Brian Ripper from the All About the Mouse podcast there's so many people I would like to mention that I saw that day that just made it so much the more exciting because we were putting faces with names and just meeting people for the first time and it just contributed to that overall just celebration yeah, Jeff, you spoke to something I was going to mention as well, which was seeing people from the online community, whether it be old friends like you and your family and Jessica and Brian Martzoff and Deb Wills and so many other people, and getting to put faces to names of people who I had um, spoken with online or, who, or whose work I knew. For example, Martin Smith, who does the amazing video work. Uh, I had a chance to meet him, and with everybody that we ran into, people who maybe had you know, read the books or listened to the show or I communicated with online, there was this instant connection because we all, I keep saying, we, we got it and we were there for the same reason. And it was just so much fun. It was so much about community. And that's why I applaud Adam and Rail for what they did because they, they really focused on just bringing all these communities together and they did an exceptional job of doing it. And uh, you can see it. I'm going to post a photo up. Actually, uh, Matt Roseboom from Orlando Attractions uh, sent me over a picture that he stitched together that we took right after the um, the rededication ceremony. And actually, Jim McPhee and the ambassadors are in there with all of us fans. And you'll see, you know, hundreds of us in front of there just, you know, everybody's just kind of hugging each other and just smiling. And if you were there and if you were part of that picture, you understand that excitement and that electricity that we keep making reference to. And again, we keep beating this, but beating the over the head with this, but... It was such a significant moment because, to our knowledge, Disney has never acknowledged the fan community in this regard, and they were right there. Um, that picture was just amazing. We were all there. Great moment. Just pure Disney magic. Absolutely. And, and ball, but that's what it was. <laughs> you know what? Call it what it is. Be critical of us for saying it this way, but I think if you were there, you understand it, and I think if you weren't, and if you're listening to the show, you know what we're talking about. And so many of the things, you know, there was a uh, there was a media event that we went to up at the Norway VIP Lounge, and that was a recurring theme for the six of us who were up on that panel that were talking about it as we answered questions. We all talked about it in that way, and you could see some of the people who were in the media who were part of the Disney community acknowledging and understanding and other people saying, you know, I, I don't understand. I don't understand how you people are coming together like this and doing what you did, but still with a sense of, of admiration um, for what was going on. It wasn't something that was being looked at as kind of an oddball thing. I think it really is, uh, like I said, it it's a defining moment uh, for so many different reasons. So... And I'm, and I'm glad you, I'm kind of glad you mentioned the media event because you and I both had a chance to talk to for a few moments with Scott Powers, who is the reporter that covers Disney for the Orlando Sentinel. And I think the question that has been on our minds so much in the past, you know, six to nine months is is a question that we, we it's hard to really diplomatically get an answer to. But I, I put it to Scott, and it was just like how much how meaningful was the fans, communities push in celebrating Epcot. You know, we had spent the last six months really online celebrating, doing our retrospectives, doing our posts, so many of the blogs, so many of the forums, you know, the Celebration 25 grassroots movement. You know, I asked him, I said, you know, you're sort of an objective reporter. You're not a fan. You're out there doing your job. Did this mean something? Did what we did 
really mean something to Disney. And we've been very, I know you and I, Lou, have talked about it. We've always been, you know, ah, you know, how much do they pay attention? And he very, very much said, you wouldn't believe how important mm-hmm. you've been, how significant you've been, how much your voice has been heard, and how much they've stood up and t- taken notice of your efforts out there. And I'm, I'm not saying specifically you and I are efforts, but just collectively the entire community, online community's efforts in this regard. And it was, it was, that was something that, you know, coming from him, just was amazing to hear because you know we didn't know we we really we, we were always saying to ourselves are we making a dent in this <laughs> and and just to get that kind of acknowledgement was really something well you know th- this this is really something jeff that is thanks to not only adam and the people that put celebration 25 together but you who started the acknowledge the legacy restore the dream way back in february and we started talking about this and, and every other podcaster and blogger and, and person who posted online about what this meant to them and kind of how this started to snowball over the last nine months. That's why October 1st happened the way it did. And it really is thanks and should be shared um, with all those people, whether they were at Celebration 25, whether they are at Epcot or not, because it, it does show the power of this new medium. And that's why I keep re- making reference to the fact something like this never happened before. And and some of the questions in the media event have, you know, asked about, you know, will this happen again um, why hasn't it happened before? Would it be the same if it was Magic Kingdom or Animal Kingdom? You know, this is this is a, a a far greater step from that small little outcry that took place years ago over Mr. Toad. This goes to show the power of, of what we are doing. And the, and again, I applaud Disney because they obviously listened uh, and they acknowledge the fact that they listened. So, um, but let's just kind of, I guess, you know, we've only talked about this for an hour now, so we can uh, we can wrap it up. You know, we, we did, like I said, we wrote Imagination, and, and we got to see Marty Sklar, who I can't share audio with you because we were not allowed to take it, but suffice to say it was um, an incredibly moving and inf- informational and educational um, speech that he gave, and you can see the man clearly loves what, what he has done. Uh, we wrote, we went, uh, a number of us went to the American Adventure Lonnie was there, who's been on the show before. Um, again, do you want to talk about the swell of emotion for people that, that came out? I mean, literally with tears streaming down their face, it, it goes to show what an amazing job Disney did with that. But for a lot of us, the, the culmination of the night was the uh, Illuminations dessert party. It, it got rained out for the most part. We had to go over to the Odyssey, which was actually kind of cool. We got, got that whole retro effect going there by getting to, to eat over at Odyssey. But... Um, you know, in true Disney magical fashion, the, the heavens opened up and that the rain cleared away <laughs> and we were able to head over to the Isola in Italy, which is that private viewing area right in front of Spaceship Earth. And uh, Illuminations is Illuminations and I've seen it uh, hundreds of times. I have never been taken aback and moved by the show this time, but the tag that seven-minute tag, or, or whatever it was, that was added on to the end, that was, that was the tag that was seven times larger than any other tags, was absolutely the most spectacular fireworks display using new pyrotechnics, incredible music that I've ever seen. Disney did an absolutely incredible job with that. There was a point near the finale where every inch of sky was lit up mm-hmm. with with the fireworks. It, it, it I have never seen... A fireworks display that was that intense in terms of just if you take the actual reflections of life finale and then just like times it times a hundred it's almost 
to that extent. And I know that people will say, oh, he's exaggerating. I think you can back me up on saying that I'm not. <laughs> right. And, and unfortunately, the videos that are out online, and I thank everybody that put those out there to share it with people who couldn't be there, they don't do it justice uh, because you can't get a sense of the scope and the magnitude of, like you said, how the sky over the entire lagoon was just filled. And it was it was just beautiful. And again, people were laughing and they were crying. And when it was over, nobody wanted to leave. You know, people, they started playing all the old pavilion theme songs. And Absolutely. everybody was, broke out into song. And yeah. The first one I believe they played was Horizons. Mm-hmm. Uh, they immediately segued into if we can dream it then we can do it and they they played one right after another of all the old theme song music and again when one little spark came on it was a spontaneous sing along yeah. <laughs> it was just it was like the anthem of the day it was incredible yeah and, and uh, you know Adam was able to secure that venue till after the burn off which what I understand was went off about quarter to twelve. Um, and before everybody was escorted out of the park. But, you know, nobody wanted to leave. Everybody didn't want the day to end and just wanted to continue kind of hanging out together. And I saw people that had never met before hugging at the end of the night and exchanging contact information. And really, Jeff, you, you got a sense of what this was all about. And I, I know we kind yeah. of wax poetic about this, but yeah. uh, it, it's true. It's about, you know, unity and community and, and all these other things that, you know, Epcot really was supposed to represent. And significantly, very significantly, and again, I can't say enough about this gentleman. By himself, no, nobody with him, no entourage. You know, we're at the Isolate there. Jim McPhee comes walking over at post-illuminations when we're all just, like you said, hanging out and just, you know, not wanting the day to end. He comes in and checks in on us all again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just unbelievable here's a guy that you know clearly was there at the, the beginning of the day he spent the entire day there as well and just a class act he came over and literally ended his day with us right. and i just and it was again like we were, we were kidding before it's you know it was this rock star effect everybody's like look who's here you know mm-hmm. it was just i felt personally so flattered that this gentleman would take the time to just touch base with us again and say was it it was a great day yeah. it just Again, you know, like you said, where people probably think we're over the top with sentiment here, but it just was incredible. No, he, he is a very real, he's a very genuine person. <clears throat> I'm going to admit one of the highlights of, of the weekend for me was when I went up to him on Sunday when he covered by John's thing, and I said, hi, Mr. McPhee. He says, Lou, how are you? know, I recognize your voice. I listen to the show. I, and I was just, I was, I was like, Jim McPhee, listen to the show, <laughs> you know, but he doesn't come across as a rock star. He's just a regular person, almost like he's there as much of a fan as he is in his professional yeah. capacity. So he, um, again, I, I keep making reference to why this day was so unique, why this day was so different. You've never seen that before and you may not see that again, or maybe this is the start of a trend towards, you know, people in management embracing and being more accessible but uh jim mcphee i cannot say enough good things about and so much about what that day was 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 because of him and thanks to him and you can see that um having and you'll hear another brief audio clip from him that i was able to take um on on the 25th from from mr mcphee um it was just jeff all around i i it was brilliant it was just a brilliant and really one of the most memorable days and trips I've ever taken to Disney. And I got to tell you, I know 
don't want to stir anything up here, but when I approached Epcot for the first time and saw Spaceship Earth, as Mr. McPhee even quoted as saying, restored to its original state, it was a beautiful, beautiful thing to see. It was just an amazing thing to see. And I've long been critical of the Leave a Legacy monoliths at the front of the park. And to me, it's an amazing how Spaceship Earth truly complements them to actually make that front entrance really look attractive now. There's, there's a symmetry that was kind of lost when you had the wand there. There's a symmetry that's been restored to it. And at night, it's just beautiful. It's just amazing to see. Yep. Like I said, everything about the weekend, everything about the event just fell into place perfectly. And um, I, I'm Jeff. I'm glad you and I had a chance to spend some of the time together with, with our family and uh, and with everybody else. And I want to thank not only you know Jim McPhee and all the other people from Disney, but Adam and everybody else that put this together and everybody else in the Disney community that came out for this. Uh, because without all those people, this this would never have taken place. So um, thank you all for what, what you guys did and for all the support of the event and, and the day. Absolutely. What Lou said, it, all the people that made this possible, that especially the folks that didn't quite make it, it was still very important. And, you know, we wish it had been there and we're hoping we can share it with you in this way. But it's just thank you to everyone for making it so special. And Jeff, one other thing that I wanted to share with you, which will hopefully kind of give people a sense of of what the day was, was I was fortunate enough to be able to take some interviews with some people like Marty Sklar and Jim McPhee and people from the online community and just fans that were there. And I unfortunately can't play all of it, but I did want to play some of these interviews and some of these sound bites um, because one thing that I... that. I was always curious about was why the day was so important to people. Why was it important for fans to be there? Why was it important for Charlie Ridgway and Dave Smith and Marty Scar to be to be a part of this and what what it really meant to them? So uh, I hope you enjoy some of these sound clips. I hope hearing, especially from the fans and people from the online community, gives you a sense of what this day meant um, to so many of us. And obviously, Jeff, thank you so much for everything that that you've done, and um, and it was great seeing you and your family as well yeah my pleasure Lou uh, it was I felt really proud I'm really proud to be a part of the show and I was really proud to be with you there and meeting a lot of the folks and taking part in all of this it was, a, it was a great day and I, I I've come from zero to 60 in just a short year and it's just it's so exciting for me just to be involved and just want to say thank you for, for your support and for making me a a part of all this thank you my thanks obviously go out to you for all that, that you've done and uh this has been a lot of fun and uh we've just begun to dream it is monday morning october 1st 2007 at 7 a.m and i'm standing outside the gates of epcot center with the founders of celebration 25 the fan event that really kicked off um what has become uh, a phenomenon where the online community and disney have gotten together to celebrate a very important event and i'm with adam roth jen Waite, and jason diffendahl who really were the the masterminds behind um the event and who now have brought almost 1200 people to epcot to celebrate this um with um with the disney company so i want to welcome and of course thank you all for putting this together yeah hey well it's a great pleasure we did it for the fans and we did it for the park and we're just thrilled to be here with everybody to celebrate epcot's 25th 
And when you had, when you made the first post online, and when you first kind of came up with the idea, did you ever think that it would get to where it is today, with 1,200 people and and Disney doing so much um, to support the event and to celebrate it? I think um, it. I remember at the very beginning, I felt that it had great potential to be something big. But of course, I never dreamed that it would get as big as it did and actually get the acknowledgement of Disney and Park Operations and Jim McPhee, of all people. I mean, that's just incredible. Adam, when you and I first started speaking, your registration was, uh, you know, maybe three, four hundred. And you says, yeah, we expected maybe 200. You're now, you know, at almost 1,200. It, it's something that I that I couldn't believe, and I, I remember telling you and telling John when we were watching that roster grow every day, I would just come back and tell him that we had an extra hundred every day, and you know, to think that we we did get so much acknowledgement, and that we that we are probably the first group to actually be able to collaborate with Disney on a scale that we have, is just an accomplishment in itself, and I think if we really wanted to give Epcot the celebration that it deserves. Uh, we, we really have done everything we could possibly do as fans. And as we hear the original entrance music starting to play in the background, I saw a smile come over everybody's yeah. face. But, but Jason, how do you think um, what's going on today? I mean, it, it really shows the power of the online community and the passion of the Disney fans. I think it's quite possible that, that Disney didn't quite estimate the number of Epcot fans on the internet today. Um, There's literally thousands of us and the fact that so many of us are here and so many more of us, you know, couldn't make it, uh, you know, Epcot's 25th anniversary is a momentous event and we realized that and we wanted to do something to celebrate it and so, you know, I think Disney maybe Epcot uh, is getting a lot of attention recently. I think Disney realizes that there's a lot of fans of Epcot out there. So, so why was it important to you as fans to, to want to celebrate this and to make sure you did something here at the park and do it with other Disney fans? To honor the people who originally built this park and just to acknowledge the fact that, yes, this park is important and there's, there's just a huge group of people that came to this park back in the day and came away with something that was profound and affected their life. It's an honor to that, really. It's like a tribute to those people that created those things, that empowered those that came and visited the park. They went away with something, and then it had a tremendous effect on their life. I know it did for me. And a lot of those people are here. You know, people like Marty Sklar is here, and Charlie Ridgway are here, and Dave Smith are here. People who are literal Disney legends are here to celebrate it and commemorate it with the fans. And I think that goes a long way to showing to, to the fact that Disney also realizes, and these people realize that what they've done is something that was important as well. I, I mean, I, I think one of the things that makes Epcot so timeless is the fact that there, there's so much that was put into this park at the beginning, and it's never really lost that touch. It's always gotten more, and it. And I know I spoke to uh, Jim McPhee yesterday, and the one thing he told us all was that this park does live up to the actual dream of Walt Disney and he wholeheartedly believes that because Walt dreamed of a, of a place that was ever-changing that it was a showcase of, of the future and here we are standing today in the realization of Walt's dream and to think that we're standing here 25 years to the date after it opened originally 
and to see people like Marty Scalar who were here on opening date, who were here before even opening date, or Jim McPhee who helped to open up the Epcot Preview Center. To think that that kind of dedication is still into this park, it just goes to show that's what we refer to as the Disney magic because you can't find that kind of dedication over 25 years at any other location in the U.S. or anywhere else. I, I mean, I don't honestly think that any other Disney theme park has that real, real unique aspect to it because everything else can be duplicated in the Disneyland-style parks and in the unique-style parks that you have, like Tokyo Disney Sea. There's always a chance you can duplicate it, but the experience you have here is something that never dies. And I know my parents are here. They were here the first year of its opening. My, my father covered the story. And, you know, I'm here now experiencing the same thing they experienced 25 years later. And that kind of generational uh, experience is what this is all about. Well, this is, this is going to be the start of what I think is going to be a very exciting, a very historic day. Um, and on behalf of everybody that's here and all the fans that maybe even are part of Celebration 25 that are here just to experience it. I want to thank you guys for all that you've done. I know I'm excited and I appreciate you guys allowing me to be a part of it. So um, I'm looking forward to yeah. We're glad to have you here. It's been, our, it's been our pleasure, Lou. Thanks, Lou, for joining us as a sponsor also. We'd like to put out a big thanks to you and the rest of the sponsors of Celebration 25. Listen to WDW Radio Show and go to DisneyWorldTrivia.com. Guys, thanks very much. See you at the burn-off. yeah. <laughs> Epcot's 25th anniversary has brought together not only thousands of Disney and Epcot fans, as well as a celebration by Disney itself, but it's also brought along its share of Disney celebrities and Internet personalities. Of course, we all know her by Deb, but it's Deb Wills from AllEars.net. Deb, welcome. Hi, Lou. It's glad to be here. All right, Deb, we obviously came down for this very special day. Why do you think celebrating Epcot's 25th was such an important occasion? I think because it's the last park real, Walt really had a hand in, that he had a dream about what he wanted this to be, and even though it's not really, it did not really become that, it's still he had his hand in what the vision was, and he didn't have his hand in Animal Kingdom per se or, or the Disney MGM Hollywood Studios, but he had a hand in this, and I think it's, it's part of his legacy, and that's why it's become important to celebrate today or tomorrow. Obviously, the, the theme park that we have today is very different than the original city that he conceived of. Not trying to speculate as to what he would think of it, but how do you think this, what we have today, 25 years later, how closely do you think it compares to what his original dream and vision for the, the city is? Wow, that's a good question, Lou. You always ask me something that I, I can't answer off the top of my head. <laughs> but um, I think the original Epcot he would have been very proud of. I think it had the kind of rides and attractions that the entire family could enjoy, that both educated and entertained in the way that he really wanted it to. And obviously time has evolved. People have evolved. We're much more tech savvy. We want uh, lots of hype and bells and whistles. And that's what the park has evolved into, obviously, to fit the needs of the guests who are here today. But I think the original Epcot, I believe he would have been very proud of everything that was here. Now, you made specific mention of the original Epcot as opposed to just Epcot. How do you think Epcot today compares with the Epcot of 25 years ago? 
Well, I think it, it misses some of the total family attractions that it once had, but they have been able to take advantage of technology. The Seas with Nemo and Friends is, is really um, very good. It's gotten people back into what had become a dead pavilion. Uh, it's something the whole family can enjoy. I saw the o new O Canada movie yesterday, and they did an awesome, awesome job on that. So you're not looking at a grainy film anymore. You're looking at uh, high-tech tech high technology and uh, Martin Short did a very good job with it. It was great. And finally, what's your, what's your favorite either memory of, of Epcot through the years or your favorite pavilion then or now? Uh, my favorite memory was when I first came to Epcot in the early 90s and Journey into Imagination was the thing that, that I dreamed about actually after I got home, that white room where, which was kind of the fantasy dream sequence. I also got to have my photo taken with Dreamfinder and Figment and um, that, that's something I will always remember and treasure. That was very special. Great. Deb Wills, All Ears Net, thank you very much. Always a pleasure to see you. Thank you, Lou. Epcot's 25th has not only brought out people from the online community as well as uh, people who are, are Epcot purists and fans at heart, but they've brought out the fans, just people who felt that Epcot was important. One of them is Glenn, Glenn Whalen. He is a, uh, a resident of Florida. Obviously, Glenn, you felt compelled enough to want to come. You registered for Celebration 25. Why was it important to you to be a part of the fan and the Disney events? Well, I think it's important to keep keep it alive, and we all share this memory of what it was like 25 years ago, and uh, we've gotten into a different arena now, and 25 years later, I think a lot has changed, but a lot of it has stayed the same, and uh, I think um, I think it would Walt would have been proud. I think he would have agreed with some of of how how it had to change uh, in order to accommodate what was going on in the world, uh, families, etc. And a lot of the updates they've been doing lately have made me very pleased. Uh, the, the changes they did to the seas, I think, has made a lot of kids very interested in it. Uh, a very exciting time for everybody. That was a question I was going to ask you next, was of all the changes that have taken place over the years, we have, a, for the most part, a very different Epcot now than we did 25 years ago. Right. What do you think was the best uh, or most important change that they made, other than the wand coming down? <laughs> other than the wand coming down? Um, I think probably the, the biggest the most successful change is probably a minor one to me, and that was because my, my favorite attraction is uh, uh, the American Adventure, and because it was it's so uh, all-encompassing, you're walking outside, and the and the band pulls you in, and then you get the you have the museum in there, you have the Voices of Liberty, you have you go up the elevator with the the flags, and then you see a great pr production, and then they change the movie at the end, and it's still it's a tearjerker even more so than ever, and the gorgeous music and everything. It's a half hour of your life that you just feel this this strength and uh, it's really wonderful and that was probably a very minor change um, but important but important yes great Glenn Whalen Disney fan Epcot fan thank you very much thank you sir I'm standing here outside the gates of Epcot Center with Mike Ream former Imagineer and artist who worked on much of what we're celebrating here today at Epcot Center Mike welcome to the WDW radio show thank you sir it's good to be here this morning there's good crowd everyone looks like they're going to have a good time it's a very exciting day for all of us as fans, I'm sure for you, uh, that's been here for so long and worked on. So tell us about some of the things you worked on at the park. I worked on, originally parts of Epcot were brought from California. They were created and they were sent here, but a lot of the stuff either got damaged or it wasn't finished. So we were brought in to uh, install an Exxon, the background, there's the dinosaur pavilion stuff. I did panels 11 through 17, <laughs> and I also worked on painting the ceiling in the craft pavilion which has now been painted over. 
uh, unfortunately, I'm sure it's, it's, it's depressing to see some of your work go. And it must be great to come here 25 years later and see guests still appreciating all the things that you worked on. Oh, absolutely. And the biggest joy, back then there was only 12,000 employees in Florida in the company. And 600 of us were the original artists, architects, designers that worked on the designs. I worked in space planning, and I was right out of college from Chicago. I'm originally from Pennsylvania. And I was hired by a talent scout to paint fine arts. Uh, so that's how I got my mural. But when I was finished, then I worked on restaurants and design of, of interiors of attractions. And so, obviously, you're here this morning, bright and early like the rest of us. Why was it important for you to come back and celebrate and join in the, in the fans in celebrating um, what's obviously a very historic day in the company's history? Well, I still have a lot of friends that work here. So I was able to get off, come down here, and for the re-dedication uh, that's coming up at 10 o'clock, I brought my camera to take pictures of everyone that's going to be in the activities. And, and Marty Sklar is here and stuff. I hope I can talk to him when he's here. Yeah, very exciting day. A lot of stuff going on. Uh, you know, you should know that so many of us appreciate all the work that you've done and put into it that made this such an important day for all of us. So, uh, other than the stuff that you worked on, what do you think your favorite part has been or what's your favorite part of Epcot over the past 25 years? That is still so popular. That it opened popular and that people keep coming back. And I really still love the idea of discovery. I really enjoy that this was an educational park. You can have fun here, but you learn too. And I thought that was the best thing that they could have done. Well, thank you very much for all that you do. I look forward to seeing you at the rest of the events throughout the day. Thank you, sir. We've got great weather. We're going to have a good time. Beautiful. It's my pleasure to once again introduce Dave Smith, Disney historian, uh, head of the Walt Disney Archives, and I'm happy to say future Disney legend, as you're going to be inducted later on this year. Congratulations and welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's great being here for the uh, 25th anniversary of Epcot. I, I never did get it get down here for the grand opening in 1982, but I think I've, I've been here probably once or twice a year, every year since uh, 82. And so I've seen all the changes, all the attractions that have come and gone, and uh, it's, it's still my favorite park at Walt Disney World. Well, like I said, looking back on 25 years of growth and change and the evolution of the park, how do you think it compares in 2007 versus 25 years ago? Well, it's certainly grown and grown and grown. There's been so much added to Epcot since that time. There's so much more to do here than there was before. Um, I think it's, it's, it's just gotten much more exciting, much more exciting. I, I've missed missed some of the attractions that I loved. Uh, Horizons was my favorite attraction, and I really liked, uh, um, oh, the uh, World of Motion. It was, a, it was a favorite of mine, too. So it's, it's sad sometimes to see some of your favorites go, but um, Test Track is a great attraction, and, and uh, Mission Space is a great attraction. So progress, I guess, has to come. <laughs> but uh, as a historian, I personally can miss some of the old things. <laughs> I think many of us do, and we, you know, the term that's often used is purists, and uh, I think it's a good thing sometimes to, to look back and, and reminisce about some of the old attractions, like you, Horizons was a favorite of mine. One thing that people always talk about was obviously Walt's vision of what Epcot the city would be versus what Epcot, the theme park, Epcot Center, uh, the theme park became in 1982 versus what we have now. Uh, how do you think what we have today and, and over the years, how do you think Walt's vision uh, has been carried on in, in the park itself? Not very well. <laughs> well, you know, Walt came up with his ideas for, for Epcot just shortly before he died. He didn't have time to 
talked to a lot of, of experts about his ideas. He didn't have time to refine his ideas. And his, his main thing was having a place where people would live. But they would be living in a fishbowl. It, it would be something that, that just wouldn't work. They'd also be voters, <laughs> and they could, they could vote to themselves out of <laughs> the Disney company or whatever. So that type of thing is is really difficult to uh, to do. And and I think if Walt had had time to to really think things through, that he might very well have come up with something like like we have today. But what we have only is Walt's very preliminary ideas for Epcot. And as you know, everything that this company does, uh, especially through our, our Walt Disney Imagineering, gets changed over and over and over again as the years go by. And uh, from the first uh, initial uh, idea of what's going to be built and then what you finally see five or ten years later, it's, it's totally different usually. And finally, why do you think it was important for Disney to celebrate, especially with the fans and with the guests? Why was it important to, to commemorate the 25th anniversary? I think the, the, the fans and the cast members really appreciate the anniversary celebration. Cast members are very proud of their park, and, and they want the public to be proud of their park, and they want to see their park getting some recognition. And so it's great that Jim McPhee and his executive group here at Epcot have decided to actually do some celebrating on, on October 1st, and uh, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it all myself. Dave Smith, head of the Walt Disney Archives, clearly a Disney fan, as well as future Disney legend. Thank you very much. All right. You're welcome. Another longtime Disney fan and member of the Disney kind of online community is Brian Martzoff. He has uh, Big Brian's postcard page, as well as your podcast is... Mousing it up. The there podcast you go. of Big Brian's Disney page. There you go. You are obviously known as the collector of Disney postcards. Um, your collection probably numbers in the tens of thousands. So you really have a, a history of Epcot, almost in pictures and in postcards. How do you think, or, or what do you think of the changes uh, in Epcot that you've seen over the past 25 years? Well, uh, it, it has changed. Uh, first off, you got to think there were several pavilions that, that weren't even here then the, uh, the Living Seas were sitting in front of. It wasn't here on opening day. It was, uh, it was something that was planned all along, but it was such a big project. They just couldn't get everything built all at once. And then we have things that have come and gone, like Horizons wasn't here on opening day. It came, and unfortunately, for many of us think it's very unfortunate that it went. So uh, change is a constant in, uh, in theme parks as it is in any other part of life. So uh, generally, I've been liking the, the changes I've been seeing more recently. Uh, there, there's always going to be things I don't like there's th that here and there and things that I miss. But in general, you know, they got to keep it fresh. They can't just let it get stagnant. And just like the updating, the recent of the Canada film, you know, some of the things in there it was getting a little dated. Some of the, the clothes that people were wearing and different things you see. So, uh, you know, I welcome change and I just hope they try to keep it the, the quality that they have been in the past. You mentioned things like Horizons. Um, Deb earlier talked about the original journey to imagination. You know, the, the, we use the term purist. I, I consider myself a purist at heart because I like some of those original attractions, but we also understand that, that Disney World is not a museum, and that's one thing. Walt, though, he said is that it wouldn't finish, it wouldn't change. What, over the years, has been your, your favorite pavilion or your p favorite attraction? Oh, gosh, that, that's hard. As the monorail goes by, I like the monorail going through the park. That's just beautiful. Uh, 
But uh, I got to say, uh, probably a sentimental favorite might be the American Adventure, especially with the Voices of Liberty. Uh, they're one of my favorite groups, and uh, uh, there's just so much wonderful thing, many wonderful things here to see. But that just one that jumps right out for me as being a favorite. Big Brian, Brian Martoff, thank you very much. And thank you, Lou. As we get ready to celebrate Epcot Center's 25th anniversary, I have the privilege of being able to sit and chat with Disney legend Charles Ridgway, who not only was there for Epcot's opening, but was an integral part of opening the park and marketing for the park as a former head of marketing and PR for Walt Disney World. Mr. Ridgway, I want to welcome you back to the WDW Radio Show. Good to be here, Lou. So, Charlie, with, with Epcot Center's 25th uh, coming up in the next couple of days, um, as somebody, like I said, that had opened the park and was in charge of marketing for the park and things like that, first, why do you think it's important that Disney celebrates Epcot's 25th and celebrates it with the guests? Well, I think always you have to keep the guests in mind first, so it's what they would like to do. But I think there are many people who have been here since the opening of Epcot that have a fond recollection of the time that they had here and so this is an occasion which I think brings back a lot of good memories for me and for uh, many many other people so I think you need to make note of that fact I think uh, you can overdo some of those celebration things at times uh, so they're playing it kind of cool this year but they are going to do some ceremonies and so forth on Monday and I I think well deserved because it was a most exciting time Epcot uh, unlike the Magic Kingdom was a kind of an unknown quantity. I think people, particularly those who had been to Disneyland in California, knew what to expect. But with Epcot, it was a brand new gimmick, new idea. It was a kind of, a, a, I guess, a World's Fair, if you will, in a way. But it was a permanent World's Fair, which made it different to start with. It had, a, 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 first of all, the aim of entertaining people. But secondly, it, it wanted to inform and to get them excited about the technologies of the future as well as the world around them. So you had these these two things, Future World and World Showcase. World Showcase involved with world cultures and and uh, foods and all the things that make up uh, our everyday life. But in the Future World, we had a chance to show off technologies that were just emerging. And uh, I, I remember uh, yesterday we were talking with, with some people, they remembered that at the computer show at uh, that, that the Univac sponsored as one of the major new attractions for Epcot they theorized that someday everybody might have a computer in their home wouldn't that be something you know <laughs> that was always one of the fascinating things, things to me uh, I was a huge fan of Communicore and I love the technologies that they showcased and I was fascinated and it's amazing how things that, that were shown there ended up being the precursors to things like the modern internet and personal computers and handheld devices, and it was brilliant what they had. Well, and then they, they have even, I think, in many ways improved upon that by having interventions where they have reached out and had the companies actually bringing in the newest devices that they have so that you can play with them, if you will, so that you can see them and, and, and come in contact with them. In, in the, in, when Epcot opened in 1982, Computers were so new that people were generally frightened of them, and being able to just go and touch a computer was was a new idea. Well, you know, things like backstage magic that made it fun and friendly and less uh, maybe imposing by, by putting that spin on. And then again, like you said, the interactive element was really something that I know for I, and I think that's why a lot of people 
have such fond memories of Epcot because they were able to touch and play and learn at the same time. Well, certainly, I think youngsters in, in the teen years who may have sort of outgrown some of the aspects of the, of the Magic Kingdom found something new at Epcot that they could really relate to. And of course, the kids today understand computers and things better than I, <laughs> you and I ever will. You know, the, the story is legendary about how uh, after Epcot was announced and after it was, it was broadcast on TV, everybody seemed to know exactly what and where Epcot was. How did you, as being in charge of publicity, how did you approach the, the opening of Epcot? Well, first of all, we, we knew that the, we needed to let people know it was open. And as a matter of fact, a year ahead of time, we thought about uh, the possibility of taking out a full-page ad in newspapers across, which, you know, that was really before the days when everybody got major share of their news on television, that we would uh, take out an ad to announce it. And uh, we just didn't do that kind of thing in those days. And as a matter of fact, it kind of got us in trouble. They said, no, we'll, we'll do it in other ways. And one of those ways was something that was brand new to us, and it was pretty new at that time, was the satellite uplink, which enabled a local radio or television personality to stand out there in front of the globe at Epcot and do a live report from a distance from home. And, and nowadays, that's so commonplace, it wouldn't have been a stir at all. But in those days, that was very unusual for a local news reporter to be able to come down. And so we decided, okay, we're going to have a satellite uplink at place and we'll offer it its use two stations from around, around the country. So we invited about 35 or 40 stations, which is about our ability to handle at that point, to come down and not knowing whether any of them would accept or not. That, anyway, 35 or 40 did accept, and they sent their reporters down, again, not knowing what to expect. We had one uplink in place, and some of the stations that, uh, came, that sent their people down didn't even have a a satellite dish to receive it on the other hand and had to make arrangements with a nearby station to to receive it and microwave it over to them so uh, it, it it opened a, a lot of doors for us and the th amazing thing that happened was after those telecasts went on the air their stations at back home the switchboards lit up like a Christmas tree and people were calling in and say oh my goodness that was great you know tell us more and they couldn't believe the kind of reaction they were getting and the general managers of many of the stations called down told their reporters stay over and do a report to night as well one of the fun things funny odd things that happened really and if you're in the news business you'd hardly believe it one of the stations was assigned to a the six o'clock time slot we had we gave them five minutes so that we could do 12 an hour and with three time zones, you could do 36 in that normal uh, six o'clock time frame. Anyway, they were assigned to the six o'clock time slot from six to 6.05. Well, it happened, that was the night that the Tylenol disaster occurred when, when they discovered poison in the town. You know, the whole country was up in arms about it. That station had to delay their report on <laughs> Tylenol until they could do, do the report on Epcot, and they did, which was even more amazing. Um, but we did, uh, somehow we did 14 five-minute <laughs> segments in that first hour. <laughs> Nobody could figure that one out yet. Uh, it, was, it was really amazing, but the, perhaps even more amazing was that as a result of, of the telecast and the radio that went with it, so even before the television special that aired later in the month, the next morning our surveys show that 95% of the people in the United States who were surveyed knew that Epcot was open and had some idea of what, what it was about. I actually remember, and I still watch videos I have of it, 
of the Today Show from NBC being smart enough to make their entire broadcast with Brian Gumbel right from Epcot Center. Yeah, Jane, Polly, and Brian were both both here. The whole show was here. Uh, the other two morning shows that did reports, and Jane London was down, and, and uh, June, uh, uh, Joan London was down, and did did reports through, uh, through the whole show, and they act, did some reports on their evening news on, as well on, on ABC, and I think both uh, NBC too. But having the Today Show here was, was in, in some respects, a big coup, but it was, I think, natural because the uh, build-up interest at Epcot was so strong that they it, it had to be a big story with them. And so it, they, uh, I remember going out and talking with them early in the morning before before the daylight, you know, before the, anybody came in. And so it was a, it was a great, great time uh, for us and, and I think for the people that were here. Not, there weren't all that many people who came. We designed the opening to happen on October 1st, which is always the lightest time of the year. And on a Friday, it's the lightest day of the week as we had with the Magic Kingdom to give us time to, to break it in, to get it going before we were inundated with crowds. And so we had the opening on October 1st. We had our grand opening on the 23rd and 24th and that and 25th, I guess. Um, we had a, a, a great weekend. We had all kinds of stars here. I remember my wife got to ride on Spaceship Earth with uh, Alex Haley, the author of Roots, and she was thrilled by that. We, we had, uh, during that early time, we had Drew Barrymore, who had just made a big hit as the star of uh, E.T., <laughs> this little 70-year-old <laughs> kid, you know. Nobody ever knew her except she was a Barrymore, so she did have a name. And we had a lot of sports stars and... and uh, uh, Walter Cronkite came down, and you know, lots of people who who were Disney fans, many of them. Uh, Ray Bradbury, the, the fiction writer, who'd had quite a hand in the development of the concepts for Future World, uh, because of his writing of the future business, uh, came down for it. So it was a, it was a great time, and and certainly one that we should, and do remember. One thing, just quickly talking about the Today Show that, that I re recall, and, and actually we, we talked uh, on last week's show about, was it was the first time the world was introduced to two new characters, that, the Dreamfinder and Figment, who seemed to instantly become overnight successes and, and almost had a, a cult-like following. Yeah, they did for a while, and I, I'm sorry that we don't make more use of them today than we, than we do, because they, it was a, a great concept. The, the journey into imagination was truly an one of the great innovation of uh, Epcot. I, you know, Epcot was about, was supposed to be about looking into the future and coming up with future technologies and so forth. But in doing that, we actually developed new technologies for, for exposing those technologies. Uh, we, we had new ride systems, much broader use, of, uh, more complex use of computers. Uh, we developed a, a ride system for uh, the universe of energy, where the entire auditorium divided into four sections uh, of uh, what was 90 passengers each. So this whole section of people went went riding out through the ride, no rails, just a concrete floor, but there's a little wire buried there, and the the electronics aboard on board, the computer on board, the the vehicle, if you will. It didn't look like a vehicle; it looked like a piece of an auditorium. Uh, was able to follow that wire around, stop at the right place, and when it stopped, it was automatically recharging its batteries without having a, a visible connection through a, a magnetic field uh, operation. You know. Well, well, that's the you know the thing about 
Epcot the theme park, obviously being so different from Walt's original vision of Epcot the city, but I think when it opened and still today, and I'd like you to comment on what you think today versus when it opened, but how it carried on his vision of showcasing these new technologies and bringing together us as a united people, not only in World Showcase, but as companies in Future World kind of showcasing and trying to really make a better tomorrow for everybody. Well, giving people a vision of what the future may hold for them, how they may apply some of these wild ideas into their own lives in terms, well, energy is a big subject these days and whatnot, so finding out a little bit more about those, discovering that there, there are possibilities for you there is certainly an important factor and is behind the the whole concept of Epcot as a city. I think it might have been very difficult and, and, and we felt impossible. Now, if Walt had been around, I don't know. <laughs> With him, you never t could tell, but that it would have been very difficult to have the people who lived in Epcot be the guinea pigs that were millions of visitors were coming to visit their homes and there see what they how they were living and all those kinds that I think that was a concept that that would have been very difficult to do but uh, we accomplished the same thing in this idea of Epcot as a as a world uh, exposition if you will one thing that that seems to be somewhat different about this celebration as opposed to say for example Magic Kingdom's 25th or 10th anniversary and so many that you played a part in is that originally Disney had, had come out early in the year and said that they weren't going to do any sort of a public guest celebration. And there was this instant sort of grassroots effort from the online community. Specifically, I mentioned Adam Roth, the 16-year-old um, who started what Celebration 25, now has almost 1,200 people. How much, if any, do you think that played a part in it? And, and coming from your background, um, do you think this is something we're going to see in the future? And, and, and how do you feel about... Um, the fan event versus what Disney is doing now publicly. Well, I hope that the, that the current people who are doing this sort of thing here realize that they they should be listening to to the public and what and, and realizing what they want to do. I I think they realized that uh, that was a a need that they had not foreseen. I, I don't know. Maybe because over the years we've done so many anniversaries that internally we were beginning to get a little tired just the whole idea of celebrating an anniversary thing well maybe it's time to take a little bit of a break but the public doesn't isn't in on it every day ordinarily uh, you know they they come for one time during the year if we have a year-long celebration which we frequently have or even two years why we're there every day so it's gets to be a little bit uh, old after a while but the public is not they're going to be there for a day or two or three so it's all new with that so if you're doing things that are exciting that are new that are fun that are entertaining then you can you can celebrate all the time and i think uh, we probably should and, and i think maybe uh that the the people that are doing it now have learned a lesson that they they do need to take a second look and not consider just their own feelings about it, but what the public's feeling may be. I know I was very happy to see, and again, we don't know how much of a part the online movement may have played, but it does seem like Disney is listening, and they're listening to the fans. I think I think Disney always has listened. There's until the, until you started talking, the online people. We didn't have anybody to listen to, perhaps, but but I think they always have paid attention and you know in the early days Walt used to spend every weekend and, and uh, every Wednesday he was down at the park doing nothing but walking around 
talking to people, finding out were they having fun, what did they like, what did they didn't like, what would they like to have that isn't there. All those things, and we still, I think, have to have that inquisitiveness about us to find out what our guests like, and I think they do. I think, I think, by and large, that we still are are tuned to Walt's philosophy well enough that we understand that it's we frequently have to go and find out what our guests are feeling, and those guests certainly include all those people that, like yourself, or the online uh, folks uh, who would, can help us plan for uh, more and more uh, excitement, entertainment uh, forever. I agree, and I guess maybe on a personal level, you know, you've seen so much over the 25 years at, at Epcot, and looking back, what are some of your fondest memories or some of your favorite memories of that time, either from the opening or, or as time has gone on? Well, I, I remember certainly opening that October 1st, the opening day. Uh, I started, I, I walked that mile and a quarter around the World Showcase Lagoon three times that morning. I went out before dawn to make sure things were were lined up all right. I stopped by to see the Today Show people for a minute. And then at around 7 o'clock, I met with this whole entourage of reporters and photographers to take them on a, on a pre-opening walk around. And then again, after it opened, I took another tour around to see what the guests were doing. And I'll <laughs> never forget... Um, uh, as I was walking around for the third time past France and uh, there was another guy coming down from the opposite direction and there were a couple another couple of guys on my right as we were walking up and one of the guys on my right took the guy up and said what's up there and the guy well it's just a bunch of restaurants and shops <laughs> and I, apparently he hadn't noticed that American Adventure was there it could be that it wasn't operating that quite that soon uh, and it's true, there were not as by anywhere near as many pieces of entertainment going on as there are now, but there was. Uh, the China film was uh, then, and and as it's been updated through the years, a remarkable achievement in showing you China. I went to China a couple of three years ago, and I, everything I saw, I had seen in that film. So it, it, it really was a way of, of giving people a chance to travel to far-off places. And the French film was was beautifully done. The Canadian film was was very, you know, a good circle vision film. So all of those things. The the thing that didn't it didn't have, and still in many, many ways did not have, were uh, major ride through attractions which people looked for. So that the guy who wanted to find a merry-go-round didn't find it. Uh, but we over the years we added a, a, a very intriguing boat ride in Mexico. Uh, and uh, we have the, the rides on the water across the lake and, and of course, the rather thrilling ride through in the Norway Pavilion. So there have been th those kind of things added. But we still, Epcot and even the Disney parks, are not all about just rides that spin you around. They're about telling stories and using ride systems to take you through that story. And I think World Showcase is a great example of storytelling, and it's not something to be walked through, but really experienced and interacted with. Yeah, and I, and I, I love to go out to Epcot to have lunch in France or to have a Chinese dinner, or, you know, it's, it's like taking a trip abroad, and, and, and because you really can get inside and, and just feel that you're there. You know, you, you make a brief reference to some of the things that, that never came to be, and I'm always fascinated by a lot of these unrealized concepts, and we all know about the Rhine River attraction and what may have come to Japan. There's some lesser known things like Costa Rica. Um, and we had actually talked 
some time ago about some changes that, that may have come to the Italy Pavilion. What, if any of those unrealized concepts, would you have liked to have seen? Well, I guess all of them. <laughs> I'm a hog about these things. Uh, yeah, I think all of them would, would have been good additions. Uh, all of them are cost a bunch of money. And uh, you have to stop and figure, you know, what, what do people want most? What are they most willing to pay for? Uh, I think people who don't know would probably be shocked at the amount of money that is spent on a major attraction. You know, it's, in, it's not just millions, it's hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, the ride, uh, I think the best thing that's been added at uh, Epcot in the last few years is Soarin'. I just think it's a, the most ex extravagant piece of machinery and, and, and it's a, an experience that you shouldn't miss. It, it, it's a, as near to hang gliding as you can get and, and some wonderful visuals. But um, I'm not sure how much it cost, but I, I, it was certainly a, a, a very expensive show to do, but more than worth it. You know, uh, Sometimes uh, some of the bean counters, as Walt used to call them, get to worried about whether uh, the, a, a new attraction is going to be worth what it costs. But, you know, Walt's theory was, and I think he's darn well right, if you do it really well and do it the best you possibly can, it'll pay for itself. The people will respond. They'll recognize the value. And, of course, that's always been the, the key note of Disney parks is that they are quality and they are value. And I think you definitely have seen that uh, in Epcot, you know, from the time that it opened. That, that's what they gave people right from the outset. Uh, and, obviously, nobody can predict the future, but, but you are somebody who's very well qualified based on what you've seen in, in your many years with the company. What do you think the future holds for, for Epcot? Well, I think... It's, I've never been one to be able to see into the future. I, I could not have stood there in 1971 and, and forecast any bit of what has happened since then. But I, I think we, we do have the confidence as a company, as, a, as people who are interested in it, have the confidence that it will move forward. I think that confidence certainly was shown just in opening Epcot and, uh, because we'd spent $400 million to, to get Disney World up and running with just the Magic Kingdom and two hotels. Epcot cost, was going to cost $600 million. By the time we, we opened, we, we used a figure of $800 million, twice what we had spent. Now, how, that shows a little confidence. And as a matter of fact, I think uh, I, I was, uh, Dave Smith, uh, the historian, was saying the other day that the, uh, finally it, it cost, with, by the time they got all the initial parts completed, a billion, two hundred million dollars. That is a lot of money. So I know when people talk about it, it costs a lot to go to Disney World. It does, uh, but uh, not compared to other forms of entertainment. Not all that much, and it certainly is something that you'll take home memories all for all your life. And uh, certainly, my memories are are glowing at this point. And I, I I'm sure it will move forward. I, I can't foresee just how. I think it can and has played an important role in uh, arousing people's interest in subjects like energy and, and new forms of transportation and, and the new cars that are now beginning, after so many years of, of uh, anticipation, we're beginning to have some, some alternate energy power for cars. And, and I think that will, that will grow. And perhaps uh, Epcot has had an uh, influence in, in building uh, demand for that because uh, you remember uh, years ago when uh, General Motors brought their all-electric Evolt car in to, to show off to people. Everybody stood there and gaped. And so some of those people who, who uh, wanted to, to uh, 
wondered why we couldn't have those kind of things are beginning to realize we, we can have them and, and will, I'm sure. And, and that's what I think Epcot's going to continue to do, specifically Future World, is be a predictor of things to come and help introduce people to technologies that maybe aren't so far off. Um, you know, now go green is the operative word. That's what Disney was doing 25 years ago. Yeah, well, Walt started doing it even before that. He was a, a great visionary, and he gave us the inspiration to begin the process, and uh, I think it's going along very well, and I have great hopes for it for the future. Well, you should be very proud of, of what you helped create with, uh, with what you've done and, and introducing people to something that is such an important part uh, of so many of our lives. Well, I certainly had an amazingly entertaining time doing it. I had more fun than I can imagine. Looking back on it, it, it there's just so many good memories that I, I couldn't possibly imagine a better way of life than I've had. Well, Disney legend Charles Ridgway, also author of Spinning Disney's World, for more stories like this about his career with Disney, with working with Walt, opening so many of the Disney theme parks around the world, you be sure you can go and check that out. You can go to intrepidtraveler.com or Amazon, any bookstores carry it. Again, uh, Mr. Ridgway, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. Okay, Lou, thank you very much. And I, I certainly hope that um, many of your listeners, will, viewers, will get a chance to come and see for themselves what's going on in the new new attractions, new ideas, new way of doing things that, that I think will continue to develop over the coming years. It's an exciting time. You bet. Thank you. Another member of the Disney online community that, that found it important um, for her to be here is Jessica from ifwecandreamit.blogspot.com, founding member of the Crate and or Trash Can Appreciation Society. Jessica, it's it, welcome to a, a very early morning here at Epcot Center. Another one, just like yesterday. <laughs> yes, Jessica and I have been running each other, uh, into each other here at Epcot for the last couple of very early mornings, being some of the first two or three cars in the parking lot. So, um, sound the nerd alert alarm right here. But um, why was it so important for you to be here today and to celebrate it and to be decked out in all of your, your Epcot garb? Well, my first trip to Epcot was in 1987. I was very young, and I have my very first memories of riding the original Dream to Imagination, and I'm a huge Epcot fan, huge Figment fan. And I just wanted to come back and celebrate with Epcot's 25th. Uh, it's been 20 years since I've been coming, and I love every minute of it. And why do you think it was so important, and why do you think it ended up turning out to be such a huge fan event where there's more than 1,200 people coming and... Disney now is recognizing it and celebrating it. As we're watching cast members come out, we see that there's probably more going to happen today than we thought earlier. Well, I think it's because Epcot's such a unique park. It's so special to the fans that have grown up with it. It's so unique. It looks towards the future. And as everyone gets older and becomes nostalgic for the past and looking towards the future, I think it's important for us to celebrate together. And where are the best trash cans in Epcot? Well, we have the, the, the future world ones are all the same, but you have some special ones in the land that are pretty nice. Now, shamelessly plug the blog. It's ifwecandreamit.blogspot.com. And what, what would people find there other than pictures of trash cans? Uh, we have pictures of crates, uh, tabletops, all kinds of fun stuff in there. Well, thank you, and I will, see you, uh, I will see you at the rest of the festivities today. Sounds good. Look forward to it. Susan and Simon Vaness who are the authors of the Brit's Guide to Walt Disney World. Uh, very important for our listeners and for our um, for guests overseas. Want to welcome you to the show. Thank you, Lou. Hi there, Lou. This, this is such a significant event in Dis Disney's history. I mean, it was the second park here at Walt Disney World. It was also the one that was, if you like, was the, the key vision 
of, of Walt's um, idea for the future. So, you know, from our point of view, it's, it's a link to Walt himself and it's a, a milestone that just has to be observed. Well, again, I think it's, it's, an, integral, it's an integral part of, of what Walt had in mind for Walt Disney World. It was a key part of, of his vision. Um, it was a, a revolutionary park in its day. It still is now. And I think it's, it's one of the things that sets Walt Disney World apart from any of the other resorts in the world. It is unique. They haven't attempted to, to copy it anywhere else. And it, it has a fascination um, and an excitement that is not seen and experienced in any of their other resorts. So I, I think it's essential. Why do you think so many people make, you know, the pilgrimage, for lack of a better word, over from, from England to come here as opposed to just going to Disneyland Paris? I think that the, the, the real difference is, is how much more there is here. Orlando is seen as such a huge destination in overall terms. Um, Walt Disney World is obviously the key, but there is a lot more here that draws people from outside. Walt Disney World is the key, and obviously from that, as, as being the key element of Walt Disney World, it's important that they have signature elements within that that, that people can focus in on. That, and certainly Epcot is one of those, Magic Kingdom is probably the other. So if you like, Epcot was the, the park that really brought Walt Disney World into world focus. And I think it's, it's really important for people to come here to, to understand that and acknowledge that and, and to enjoy an event like this, which we're, we're so keen to be part of. And your book really has a lot of... I had a chance, you were kind enough to give me a copy of the book last night. I looked through it. It's beautiful to look at, but it really has a lot of vacation planning information and advice and tips that are, are very specific to the traveler coming over for the UK. If, if anybody's interested in learning more or purchasing the book, where's the best place for them to find it? Oh, either online at amazon.co.uk or at our, our website, which is www.askdaisy.net slash Orlando. Thank you, Lou. Absolutely, our pleasure. One of the most exciting and most memorable opportunities that I had throughout the entire celebration of Epcot's 25th anniversary was a chance to sit and chat one-on-one -on -one with Marty Sklar for just a few minutes. He was the former head of Walt Disney Imagineering. He's been with the company since the late 1950s personally was involved in the creation of all the theme parks, is the only person to open all 11 Disney theme parks worldwide, and is now the uh, official ambassador for the Walt Disney Company. So I had a chance to talk and to speak with Mr. Sklar for just a few minutes. Here's a quick excerpt from that interview. Mr. Sklar, as somebody who was intimately familiar with Walt's original vision of Epcot, the city and the community, and then seeing the genesis of Epcot, the park, and, and what it's gone through and all of its changes. Looking back now, 25 years later, um, how do you think what we have today and what's gone on over the past 25 years, how, how did that kind of match Walt's original vision? Well, I think you have to look at all of Walt Disney World. In Walt Disney World, you know, on a peak day, there's over 300,000 people on this property, 250,000 guests in uh, the four parks. 50,000 cast members and another 20-some thousand people working for other companies. You've got all the things in a community, so Disney has to figure out how to move people around. They have to feed them. They have to provide ener energy for all of them. So in many ways, uh, that vision has been carried out, and I think the, the ways that we've demonstrated for working with the environment here are an example of people all over the world 
And so I, I think the, the whole uh, thing, really what Walt wanted to do was to create turn-ons, get people excited about solutions for the future and, and to really be thinking about how to, to overcome some of the issues that we have. And I think uh, Walt Disney World and Epcot have done a lot of that over the years. Well, thank you very much for all that you've done to make it possible. appreciate it. Thank you. Adam, for the most part, the hard work is over. Everybody's registered. Everybody's checked in. We're standing in front of the Fountain of Nations stage, and we're 15 minutes away from uh, you know, a moment that you've been looking forward to for about eight months. What's it, what's it feel like? Kind of what's going through your head? Um, you know, I, I think the same thing is going through my head that's going through everyone else's head. What's going on? We, eight months ago, we felt that nothing was going to be done. And here we are standing ready for the rededication. We had a great history walk yesterday. We've got an awesome dessert party, a couple of group meets today, a group photo, and even Marty Scalar is doing talk sessions with us. So to say that this has turned in a completely different direction would be an understatement. And seeing, uh, thinking that I'm even a part of that is what's, what goes through my mind is just, I'm going to remember this forever and I plan on working for the company and, and you know, if I get, if I get the job I want, you know, I'm going to be, Celebration 25 is going to be an official <laughs> Disney event. We're making sure that's going to happen. Well, you guys have really done a great job putting this together. You mentioned the history walk from yesterday. I'm standing next to John Carigliano from Mouse Times who did an amazing job yesterday taking so many fans through the history, through 25 years of Epcot Center, past all the pavilions, really introducing everybody to the history and trivia that goes along with it. And he also told us about soaring over Florida. <laughs> John, tell us, obviously you're a huge fan of the parks. I know Epcot is your favorite park of all. You kicked, really kicked things off and got a lot of people excited yesterday by doing the history walk. Tell us kind of what was that like, and tell us why Epcot's so important to you. Well, Epcot, just the beginning, um, why it's so important is, it, you know, it kind of embodies a little bit of Walt, but it, it also, um, it was the first part to really break that Magic Kingdom mold and to kind of really experiment and to, to go out of the, the comfort zone uh, of the company. And just for me doing the history walk, it was electrifying to do that because I've never done a history walk and, you know, I learned from the best from you, Lou. You know, especially with knowledge and stuff, and I, I've learned some new stuff doing the his, doing the history walk. But I would have to say the real challenge was trying to squeeze all that knowledge into like maybe 15 minutes or in, into a lot of time slot. And I'll tell you what, if I had a chance to do it all over again, I'd be on the first uh, first train to do it all over again. And I can't wait for the next 25 years for Epcot Center. It was an amazing time. You did an incredible job yesterday. I was really happy just to be there. And, and really, everybody seemed to enjoy it. And it was a great way to kind of get everybody excited for today. The crowd is huge. There's an electricity in the air, kind of like that I've never sensed before at any of these events. So this is really something special. And I, and I really thank you. It's uh, a really distinct honor to, to have all those people that came to the History Walk, and then when I was doing my Communicore, to have Jim McPhee come up right behind me, I was not expecting that. It's like, how do you follow that? It's, I, it's, the, the, what I was feeling was indescribable, and uh, I, I really had a great time, and to hear people like you and Deb Wills say that it was outstanding and that they learned something, it, it makes me feel good, and it makes me feel like I did a great job and did the best of my ability to, to teach everybody about what Epcot Center was about. Great. Thanks a lot, John. I'm pleased to be joined once again by Jim McPhee, Vice President of Epcot, as we celebrate and enjoy Epcot's 25th anniversary today. Mr. McPhee, thank you very much for coming on the WDW Radio Show. Well, I couldn't think of a better day to, than, to, than today to be here. Thank you, Lou. 
We want to thank, I, on behalf of really all the guests and all the fans, I want to thank you and all the other cast members that made today happen. You can see by the outpouring of support and, and the guest reaction and the kind of electricity that's in the air, how important today really is for, for so many people. Yeah, it was pretty incredible. I got to tell you, when we were rehearsing at uh, 6 o'clock this morning and there was uh, nothing but asphalt out here and, of course, our beautiful Future World area, to walk out three and a half hours later at 10.01 a.m. and uh, see thousands and thousands and thousands of guests, cast members and guests here, uh, is just a great uh, testimony to just the wonderful things that we do here, the wonderful things that our guests experience and bring to us here. And yeah, this is this phenomenal. It's one of the most, been here 29 years, opened up a lot of theme parks around the world. And this, uh, for me, is one of the most uh, memorable and impactful experiences I've ever had. It's uh, fr from, like you said, from early this morning when guests start to pour in. And so many of us smiled when we heard that original Epcot entrance medley start yeah. to play and, and the fireworks and the fountain. Um, and of course, seeing Marty Sklar and so many people like yourself who really made today possible. Uh, it's really, truly, it's a special day for so many of us. Well, we appreciate it. It's a special day for us uh, here as well because we know so many of you that are here, whether you're with uh, specific fan groups or just here for your first time, are such huge supporters. And frankly, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing today without that support. And so we don't take lightly our commitment and our stewardship of our heritage and tradition of Disney. You know, everybody asks us, us, you know, what would Walt say? Well, I think Marty said it very well. He said, what took you so long? And, uh, you know, so we're excited. We're very happy, and uh, we're looking forward to the next 25 to be even more successful. Well, to you and to all the other cast members who, for 25 years and, and all the years that, that Walt Disney World has been here, thank you for what you do to make this place so important and so special to all of us. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jim. I'm standing here with Michael and Lowell, two of Disney's ambassadors who are here obviously to celebrate and commemorate Epcot's 25th. Gentlemen, welcome to the WDW Radio Show. Thank you very Good morning. Much. Welcome. So this is obviously a very historic day for the Disney company. Obviously, just judging by the number of fans who have been here since the parking lot opened at 6 o'clock this morning, it shows how important it is, it is to us as fans. Why do you think today is, has really become so important to the Disney community and now obviously to the Disney company? Well, I think that this date has always been synonymous with two special anniversaries. That of Walt Disney World, which was uh, Walt's vision of Epcot, the experimental pro prototype community of tomorrow, and then, of course, of the actual Epcot. So it's synonymous, both, both anniversaries being on the same date. And I think it's just really special that we're able to actually see a silver anniversary. And for a lot of our cast members, they are opening day cast. They got to help Walt's dream come to life. And for them, it's not just about the guests, but it's all about our cast members as well, who are still here today making magic for our guests. They've seen a lot of changes, but with that, they've seen the evolution of the place just grow and grow and grow. We're just excited for them. And beyond the things that are going on today, to celebrate with the fans and for the fans and the guests, so much has been going on backstage, really, with all of you, again, with the original cast members, as well as introducing some of the newer cast members to the old Epcot, the 25th anniversary Epcot. Tell us about some of the things that have been going on backstage to really get everybody excited about today. Sure. Well, this morning we actually had a breakfast with Jim McPhee, Marty Sklar, and Aaron Wallace um, for all of our opening day 25-year cast members. We had it out at the French uh, island over there by the France Pavilion. We also took a group picture with our original character here, Figment. And so it's just full of a lot of great surprises for our cast members, including commemorative uh, gifts and uh, even a picnic. That's right, and you know, the past couple of days we've had the honor of having a cast-exclusive conversation with Marty Scalar, uh, such as that we're going to have today over at the uh, Land Pavilion. So it really has gotten our cast geared up and feel energized about the 25th anniversary. 
you know, I've been here, I've come so many times, I've been here for the Magic Kingdoms, some of the anniversary celebrations, but there, there's something about the energy today, the energy level from being outside by the turnstiles, you could, there's, there's something palpable that you can feel and an excitement that not only resonates through the guests, but through the cast as well. I think it's Walt. I mean, honestly, this is Walt's final dream. This is the one that he wanted to see come to life and everyone is just carrying it on. It holds so much heart for a lot of our guests. They saw Walt on TV talking about it in a 20-minute video and now from 20-minute video to 25 years of magic, it's amazing to see just everyone so enthusiastic about it. And it's a way to look towards the future. Epcot has a lot of growth and expansion ahead of it as well and this is really just like on opening day. This is the first day for us to be able to look towards the future and everyone knows that. Everyone's excited about you know the future of Epcot and Walt Disney World. And so many people that I've spoken to that, that actually knew Walt and knew of his original vision are proud of what we have 25 years later in that it does, it's not the city, but it carries on his dream and it carries on his intent. So I know this must be an exciting day for you guys. It's an exciting day for us. Thank you for all that you guys do as cast members to really make this such a special experience for all of us every day. Well, and thank you, Lou, also for uh, producing such a wonderful uh, radio special that uh, cast members and guests alike can take part in. That's, that's a wonderful treat. Just stay tuned for a lot more happening today, especially tonight at 9 o'clock p.m., the fireworks show. We have some tricks up our sleeves. To say that we're excited would be an understatement. So, guys, thank you very much. Enjoy. Thank you. Thank Good you. to see you. Thank you again for tuning in this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. My sincere thanks to all of my guests and everybody that I had a chance to meet and spend some time with this past weekend. Of course, on behalf of all the guests, I want to extend my thanks again to Mr. Jim McPhee, Vice President of Epcot, and all the other cast members and legends who helped make these 25 years of magic possible. Thanks also to all of my other very special guests, including Marty Sklar, Charlie Ridgway, Dave Smith, and Michael and Lowell, the Disney Ambassadors. You can visit our show notes page at wdwradio.com for more photos from Celebration 25 and the Epcot anniversary. On upcoming shows, I have more exclusive interviews, best of the best segments, hidden treasures, the next of our seven wonders of Walt Disney World, a number of really exciting vacation planning segments and tips, as well as a few surprises, and of course, your email and so much more. So stay tuned, and as always, please keep on emailing the show and calling in your voicemails to lou at wdwradio.com and call the voicemail at 206-202-4WDW. That's 206-202-4939. And please come by our fun and friendly forums at disneyworldtrivia.com for discussions about all things Disney. If you're looking to book your next vacation to Walt Disney World, Disneyland, or on the Disney Cruise Line, and want the best possible price with the very best personal service and vacation planning, I highly recommend contacting our friends at The Magic for Less Travel. They specialize in Disney vacations, and their love for what they do comes through in the level of personal attention they give you and your vacation. Visit our show notes page for a link to themagicforless.com. And as always, if you like the show, please help spread the word. Thank you again for tuning in this week. Thank you again to all of my guests and to you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. So until next week, I'll see ya.